It's dangerous to fly! It's dangerous to fly! Tell everybody to shut down! Adam Curry, John C. Dvorak. It's April 18, 2010. Time for your Gitmo Nation Media Assassination Episode 192. This is No Agenda. Tracing the roots of Ashmageddon and coming to you from the Hilltop Watchtower Crackpot Command Center in Gitmo Nation West in the People's Republic of Southern California. In the morning, I'm Adam Curry. And from the northern heights of Silicon Valley North, I'm John C. Dvorak. In the morning, John. In the morning to you. And in the morning to everyone listening. Yes, and everybody on uh, the stream, noagendastream.com, and uh, in the chat room at noagendachat.com. Did you tweet? Yep. Ooh. <sighs> I forgot. Search on in the morning and you'll find my tweet. Why don't I just, Did you? <laughs> why don't I just do a look at you, the real Dvorak. Okay. Retweet. Perfect. Much easier. <laughs> so, uh, wow. Where do we start? Ashmageddon? Uh, I don't know. You know, Ashmageddon is an interesting story from, only from the, I think, from the financial perspective. And the fact that people that were stuck in France were also stuck with a, with a, uh, a railroad uh, engineer train strike, which I thought was the irony of the whole thing. It is, because I think that's actually what it's all about. I think this whole thing is about trains. Yeah, well, you mean they blew up the volcano so the train strike guys no, can make No, 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 no. You know, whether they blew the volcano or not is, uh, is neither here nor there. But the way it's being used, as we know, even Rahm Emanuel says, never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, I think that there's actual... Bull crap involved here to fear to, to give people more fear, more shock about aviation, how unreliable it is, and how horrible it is, and you know we already have all of these security measures. I'm not seeing any of this. I don't well, see anybody saying it's unreliable or horrible. I just well, see a bunch of people stuck at the airport. Oh, That's, it's implied. It oh, it's completely implied. It's completely implied. I'm just not getting that. Well, why don't we do our executive producer first and associate executive producers, and then I'll go through some of the uh, research. We have a have. really weird executive producer situation this week. Uh-oh. We have three executive producers and three associate executive producers, and the three executive producers each gave $333. Three, that's a magic number. Yay! It is. It's the magic number. In the morning. Really? This is good stuff. It's weird. But this is, again, of course, anyone who's familiar with, familiar with random number theory knows that stuff like this happens. And it always happens like this. But this one here is really off the wall. Uh, so let's go over who the guys are. <laughs> okay. Uh, Werner Flipson. Oh, I know Werner. Well, yes, he says hi. He says he's a bit late. He's apparently uh, your friend at uh, Sheephole. Yes, he's uh, he's a good guy. He's uh, yeah. let's let's not say too much about Werner, but he's a good okay, guy. Well, anyway, let's put it so that he's way. from uh, the Netherlands. Yes, and he gave us three thirty three thirty three. Yes, the, and maybe I should just say that for those who are donating three hundred thirty three dollars and thirty three cents, if you do it three times, we kick in the extra penny and make you a knight on the spot. 
Yeah, we're big spenders when it comes to that kind of thing. <laughs> we don't mess around. AJ Tissier from Normal, not abnormal, but Normal, Illinois, uh, gave us $333.33. He's donating part of his tax refund. Uh, and he says he could use the karma even though he has a good job and he's making plenty of money, at least. Uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm making dough, man. Well, we, we appreciate that. Matthew Hawking hey, from Ma- Parkinson. Yeah, Matthew has uh, has donated before, hasn't he? Yes. And he actually donated at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, he did it at 3. <laughs> this three thing's a little out of control. <laughs> no, uh, it's not. It's good. <laughs> uh, at 3.30 in the morning, so he gave us $333. I just got out of a cab, had a top like- talk to an African cab driver here in Brisbane. 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 Say it right, John. Talking all about New World Order all the way home. <laughs> anyway, I was thinking I would donate because I told him I would uh, save so save a ring for me. It's going to be a night. Uh, he, he, said he thinks the ring will help him pick up chicks. Oh, yeah. We haven't even talked about the power of the ring yet. Oh. <laughs> we haven't even mentioned the power of the ring. We're, you know, we're going to make 100 of them, so it's going to be limited, so people better get in while they can. Um, at least it'll be round one. The second ring we do, when we, after, we, after we sell 100 of them, we sell. we're not selling. These go to the Knights. Uh, there'll be a two on the, uh, the next batch, and that'll be slightly different. Collect all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> collect, collect all three. Collect them all. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bad. so our uh, associate executive producer, uh, I Share Media, who was going to wonder if he's going to become Sir I Share Media. Well, is, it, 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 the, uh, is I Share indeed a knight today? He thinks he's a knight, but he did not because uh, it was he was donated as li- somebody else. I don't know if he wants his name mentioned. Okay. He would like to get a ring, but don't chop my head off. Blah blah blah. We're we're gonna have to do the math on this because he didn't give us a, an accounting. So I and we didn't do it. So I have to Eric can run it up. Uh, Eric, Eric the Shill is, uh, and I, he I, will be. We'll do it next uh, show if he is. Okay. I'm not prepared for a night. Okay. Then we have Nina Kristen Hetland. From uh, Norway, this is good. We have a lot. This is an international batch of people today uh, in Norway, and uh, he uh, he says executive producer equals job. I hope I have somewhere to go now. When the government becomes even more dangerous, keep up the work. Blah blah blah. Same good thing as he gets two hundred bucks, and then Charles Hendrickson from Manhattan, Indiana. Uh, two hundred also, which is interesting numbers. Greetings, John and greetings, John and Adam. I was finishing up my taxes today while listening to the show on the Zoom. <laughs> Yay! He's him and the other four it's guys. Him, it's him. It's him. It's the Zoom gebraucher. Because I'm sending a big check to the United States Treasury, it feel like a terrible way, so I decided to send you my PayPal balance. A nice balance. At least I know it will go to something positive. Keep up the great work. Uh, and whatever happened to the wine reviews you promised? Yes. So Eric the Shill says that uh, I Share Media actually has made a donation on behalf of someone else. I don't, that's a tough call now. If you well, make it on behalf of someone else, then... Well, we'll be in touch with iShare Media. And yeah, no, if it's... In, well, no, I don't... Was that made on behalf of someone else or was it made... By someone else's uh, <laughs> name that's the same person. See, this is what we, we have I think to we have up. to have a meeting. Let's have a meeting about this. Let's have a meeting. <laughs> uh, no like meetings. To, I, I'd like to uh, 
mention a couple of uh, um, PR associates, uh, people who would like to become PR associates. Let me put it. Let me put it this way: um, the RidleyReport.com did a nice little. Uh, now, now this is not. I mean, when I'm thinking of a PR associate, it's got to be big, right? Like the billboard we had. Yeah, the billboard or somebody does a yeah. piece of graffiti or, on the side or, of a cop or call, car. Yeah, or calling into a big national radio show or something like that. It's, it's got to be on Howard big. Stern would be funny. Well, that's not really big national anymore. No, I know, but it's still the irony. Would, I'd yeah, appreciate the irony that. would be good. That's true. Um, then also uh, Tyler Glaze, who uh, uh, spent $10 on Xbox Live credits to change his, uh, his Microsoft points to change his gamer tag to No Agenda Podcast. All of these good initiatives, of course, uh, but we're, we're really looking for, uh, for something really, really big, obviously, to become a full-blown PR associate. In the meantime, we would like to thank humbly Werner Flipson, AJ Tissier, Matthew Hawking as our executive producers of episode 192 and our associate executive producers, iShare Media, Nina Kristen Hetland and Charles Hendrickson. You know that you can put this on your resume. You can put it in your email signature. Take out that sent for my iPhone thing. That's so incredibly lame and put in executive producer or if appropriate, associate executive producer of No Agenda Show, episode 192. And please, you know what to do. We've got a formula, and it is your job to uphold it. Our formula is this. We go out, we hit people in the mouth. Shut up, slave. So, um, after the show on Thursday, John, when, of course, this, uh, this Ashmageddon took place, uh, I started getting a lot of emails from uh, mainly musicians uh, who were stuck in different parts of Europe and like, hey, oh, man. Oh, yeah, they got screwed. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, I got a guy who's got to play with Iggy Pop. He's got to get to Luxembourg or Strasbourg or whatever. And I'm like, you know what? I, I really don't know what's going on with general aviation. Um, now, you would presume that aircraft that fly at much lower levels, that don't have uh, turbine engines, that there wouldn't be a problem with them flying. So I start calling up my buddies. And it's like, no go, we're grounded, nothing in the sky. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty amazing. And I talked to my instructor, uh, Wing Commander William, who's uh, um, he, you know, he's the kind of guy that really knows all the ins and outs of every aspect of aviation, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And... Um, and I say, so, well, how's the weather? He says, it is the most beautiful weather ever. So blue, <laughs> blue skies, temperature is fantastic. This would be awesome to fly in. So what, there's no, like, you know, volcanic ash cloud? He said, no, there's no volcanic ash cloud here. I said, okay. I said, well, so is anyone flying VFR, visual flight rules, which means you fly, you know, below a certain uh, altitude, uh, which is much lower than this ash cloud is, uh, is reported to be at. He said, well, let me tell you what's happened to two of the guys that, uh, that have aircraft maintained with him. One took off from a private uh, strip in France, and within like 15 minutes, he had two mirages flying next to him, forcing him to the ground. Mirages! You know, so, by the way, they also have jet engines. Yeah, why are the mirages up in the air? Well, let me take it a little further. A uh, guy took off from England from a small strip, Royal Air Force, right next to him, land. And I'm like, well, isn't that a little bit uh, overkill? I mean, you know, air traffic control could basically say, uh, excuse me, you must land now. 
but not instead, only overkill, but you know how much it costs to fly those things just casually? Why, those yes. Those are expensive planes to put in the air in the first place. <laughs> why, yes, I happen to know that. It's quite expensive. And I, so I said to the wing commander, I said, well, what is that all about? He says, well, there's probably something else going on. First clue. And uh, so, you know, I've been searching and researching for the past two days because this doesn't feel right at all, particularly if you look at the lamestream media, which is, uh, I, oh, let me play this for you, John. You have to listen to Rick Sanchez, <laughs> our, favorite, our new favorite guy. This is how the American media reports on this type of stuff. You've got to listen to this. This is just amazing. <laughs> Oh, he's such a he's such a scientist. Yeah, I was just asking Chad, <laughs> how can you get a volcano in Iceland? Oh, Isn't yeah. it too, too? When you think of when you think of a volcano, you think of like Hawaii and long words like that. You don't think of Iceland. You All think right. it's too cold to have a volcano there. But no, there it is. Look at that. What, do you, what is this? That it's, is. It's too cold to have a volcano there, John. <laughs> I think he was just being facetious. I, well, no, no. Listen to the rest of the part. It, it, it's like, it, uh, Don't take us is, through these pictures. That, that is a plume of ash coming out of the top of a volcano, going straight up. What's tens, the white stuff? Though? Tens that, of thousands. That's just a cloud. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 The volcano's What's going off, but there's just regular weather happening underneath it. This thing's going tens of thousands of feet in the sky, and it is going right into the flight path of an awful lot of airplanes. Right into the flight path of an right awful... Right into the flight right path? Right into the flight path. So let me talk about that for a second. Because, you know, I was even a little skeptical on uh, on Thursday's show, and, and I have to say, you you jumped all over me saying, no, planes crash, engines stop. Yeah, that is, of course, true, but that's not with... That's if you really fly through the direct cloud itself, not necessarily this thing that is uh, uh, allegedly floating over Europe. So here's what interests me. We have uh, a couple of uh, people who listen to the show who work at Eurocontrol, to be a uh, name not to be mentioned, by the way. And uh, so I ping them. I said, you know, dude, what's going on with uh, with Eurocontrol? You know, wh what's the deal with this? You, have you guys never expected something like this? Now, take into account the way the jet stream flows... And the way almost all transatlantic flights are routed is always over Iceland, right? It's for two reasons: one for the jet stream, so you you know pick up some extra speed, and the other one is uh, it's it's handy if you have an engine failure to have a place to land. So that's why you're kind of routed that way. And also, I think the curvature of the Earth makes it a shorter route. So uh, so I say, you know, have you guys ever uh, done any um, like? Uh, you know, exercises for this, and it turns out that in November, indeed, Eurocontrol did an exercise in the event of uh, a volcanic ash disaster, but they did it in Italy. Of course, they got some volcanoes there, so that kind of makes sense, but in, in, in all these years of transatlantic flight, they never did a volcanic ash exercise in the case one of these volcanoes in Iceland would erupt? That I found truly weird. Well, they, they, this this thing only goes off once every you know six seven hundred years, and I don't think anyone really anticipated it. I think the one thing, by the way, not to interrupt your train of thought here, but you know, we have to keep it in mind that every time this particular volcano seems to have erupted, its next door neighbor, yeah, which is something like five times bigger, yeah, tends to go off. Well, so that's my point. You're kind. You're kind of proving it for me. So anyway, so the, so the next thing is, where is this coming from? Where is this shutdown of all airspace coming from? 
And like, who who's determining this? Well, it's coming from uh, I don't know, and no one really knows. Oh, uh, that's the, interesting. Yeah, so I start tracing it back. It comes from ICAO, I-C-A-O, who, by the way, have nothing at all about this on their website. Not a news article, not a single thing. Uh, ICAO is mainly responsible for uh, navigational charts, uh, of course, uh, uh, the ICAO code. So each airport has a code. You know, and this is a fine United Nations organization. They're getting their information from the VAAC the volcanic ash, uh, I forgot the, sec- the second A, volcanic ash advisory center, of, of which there are nine in the world, and these are at the Met office, offices, I should say. The what the, offices? The, the, Met, the meteorological offices, the people who bring you the weather. Weather guys. The weather guys. So all of Europe is shut down because the VAAC in London has issued an advisory. It's a bunch of scientists saying, oh, you know what? The, the, the science is in. It's dangerous to fly. It's dangerous to fly. Tell everybody to shut down. And uh, Now that has to be, you, that, hey, make a note of the time. That's the clip that starts the show. That's the clip? Okay, I'll say yeah, it's it pretty right good. There. You don't even, it's, you sounded. <laughs> I sounded good, didn't I? You sounded good. <laughs> So um, now these, so they, so right. I'm looking at the volcanic ash advisory from London, um, and it's uh, aviation color code red, whatever that means. This is no one knows what the hell this really means. But then the so this is not an aviation shutdown. It's not like, like aviation experts said, "Wow, this is dangerous." No government said, "Shut it down. This is dangerous." And now we've got. Uh, particularly uh, in Norway, where we have uh, the president of Norwegian Air saying, hey, uh, the danger of flying is really minimal. Even better, a Scandinavian, Scandinavian Airlines captain says, this is the biggest hysteria of the century. Per Gunnar Stevensfall. Yeah, no, I, I, I think we've all seen these. these no, that no, guy, I, I disagree. I don't think everyone has seen these. Well, that guy's been all over the blogs, that's for sure, that Scandinavian guy. Oh, really? Now, my take on the whole thing is that if there's not, if the skies are, like you say, if they say, if it's clear as a bell, yeah, obviously it's not a problem. But if there's a big cloud, well, uh, so first and of apparently all, the, the, you John, can only, you, you can should be able to fly over the cloud because the thing is only going they say thirty thousand thirty thirty five thousand feet maybe. You can fly under the cloud. You can fly over the cloud, but there is no cloud. This is the whole point. There is no cloud. KLM, uh, the president of KLM was is getting pissed off about this. You know, maybe losing all that money has something to do with it. His options are devaluing. He they did a test flight last night, yesterday afternoon. Actually, they went up. They took it all the way up to 41,000 feet. They came back down. They checked the plane. There's like no ash. Nothing wrong. Lufthansa is flying planes, uh, repositioning planes between uh, uh, Dusseldorf, uh, Dusseldorf and Mun- uh, Munich, I believe. So that when aviation ca- cranks up again, they have to have crews and planes in the right spot. So they're flying planes. Oh, and did I, did I mention perhaps that two... Uh, Arabian-owned private 747s were allowed to take off and go home. Go ahead. 
You know, it's always like that, just like a 9-11. No one can fly except a couple of Arab guys. The Pope gladly took to the skies from Rome. Now, granted that uh, Rome is a little bit south of the pur- purported danger area, but he went off to go join the Knights of Malta on his, uh, on his flight. And uh, everywhere, I keep reading more and more reports of there just not really being any cloud that anyone can see. And so how dangerous can this be? And there's like no end in sight. No end in sight to this thing. So I'm just going to call it a hoax. <laughs> I am. It's a total hoax. It makes you know, so. So in Norway, you can't fly helicopters. Uh, they've even grounded those. But you know, go go look at the news and go watch helicopters landing in sandstorms in Iraq, or even the sandstorms they create themselves when they land. You know, it, it's not quite as dangerous as it's being portrayed. Yes, if you fly through the black cloud, uh, then these particles can, uh, I guess they can actually melt or remelt inside jet engines and clog them up. And there's all kinds of, you know, examples of, uh, I don't think anyone's actually crashed. They have had to uh, lose altitude and restart the engines. And I think every single time that's happened, it's uh, turned out okay. But to shut down European aviation for now, we're now, what are we now, on day five? Thursday, Friday, day four? Yeah, I thought they'd be back flying yesterday. Uh, so it probably won't happen until uh, until Monday at the earliest, but from all the predictions they're handing out. Well, like- you know, the thing is you can go up. Uh, this is not a new technology. Uh, you can go up with a plane or anything you want with these uh, various filtering uh, devices that are used by the air pollution control districts around the world. And they gather anything that's in the air, a particulate mainly, which would be what you're worried about here, which is solid particles that are microscopic. And you can collect these things and fly them back down and you can make a calculation on how many of these things per square mile of air there are and and how potentially dangerous uh, the, the situation would be. I have heard that I have heard none of this. It's not an unusual thing to do, but I haven't heard any reports back saying, yeah, we've, we've filtered the air in this airspace and there's nothing here. Or that this, like, there's just enough here to make it slightly dangerous. I, neither one. It's just this, this straight up, you know, we got somebody, we just shut it down and we got Mirage jets flying around in the stuff uh, to bring down private planes. So you might be right. There may be some other thing at play here. And there is the railroad strike, which I don't know, has it ended yet? I'm not sure. Well, let me just say a couple other things. The way that I, un- I understand uh, volcanic ash to be measured is with uh, laser. So there's a, a certain type of laser that you can shoot through, you know, whatever cloud there would yeah, be. Yeah, you could do that. Yeah, and, and it can measure the particles. But all of, all of this apparently has been based upon computer models. Oh, that's so, not good. Exactly. So you've got the, um, you know, these uh, volcanic ash advisory centers and they've got these more likely it's probably running on windows 7 so they've got these computer models that say oh you you shouldn't fly but it's not actual aviators who are saying this is dangerous now there is an upside to all of this and i've seen this mentioned all over the blogs and twitter it has been very nice not having any chemtrails for a while 
everyone feels happy. We're upbeat. We're, we're Maybe really that's in, the idea. It could be. To, I, save you, <laughs> to keep your well-being improved me, or to improve your well-being by eliminating uh, over Europe. It's a plot. It's a scheme by the counterintelligence groups. Now shut trying up. To yeah, shut up. Nah, sh- you know what? I'm telling you, this is at best being misused and... It's. I'm telling you, it. It. There is something entirely wrong about this. You have to understand what the economic impact is. It's not just tens of thousands of passengers who are stuck uh, at European airports and foreign airports, not being able to, to get in or out. I mean, there's freight, there's mail, there's so much stuff that is is sent uh, via air. And I think, I, I. I really think that this is going to be misused to say, you know, we really need you mean, to. You mean we, like. Perhaps the FedEx shipments that are now backed up in Nashville and elsewhere that now you have just enough time for uh, intelligence officers to finally go through all the stuff being shipped to one guy or another. You're worse than I am. <laughs> you are really bad. It gives you a lot of time. Hey, we got how much more time do we have? <laughs> we're gonna keep. We're gonna keep us shut down for two more days. We gotta find that package. Hand, hand me the Stanley knife. <laughs> I need to open up this box. There's another one. <laughs> no. Look, this was addressed to the Queen. I am going to predict that this is going to be spun into a high-speed rail is good. We need more of that. We ne- we can't rely on aviation. Hey, what if this thing keeps on blowing for another uh, for another year? Wait until the next when his neighbor goes off. That's what I mean. It's like you know, and we've we've seen a consistent, um, a, a consistent attacks on aviation. You know, with how how much fun is it to fly? I mean, please, with all the security and all the bull crap, it's no fun to fly. They make it unfriendly. Uh, by the way, uh, Chinese government uh, has contracted, uh, papers have been signed to build bullet trains in California. I'm just China, saying. Uh, built by China? Yep. The U.S. has looked to China for help building railroads ever since Chinese laborers laid down the tracks for the transcontinental railroad in the 1860s. The coolie slaves? Now, now California hopes a partnership with the Middle Kingdom can do for 21st century high-speed rail. What, high-speed rail is a scam. Well, that that would be, this is exactly what I said. This is the scam. You know they're talking about a, a high-speed bullet train from China to London? <laughs> I'm not kidding. That they want these things... Like a- like a like an accident waiting to happen. But you know, when when you say to someone, you know, uh, I had dinner last night with a couple of people. You say, you know, well, they're, I I think that they're really just trying to make trains more popular, which of course would, you know, it's just another way to get everybody back to work. Not saying that's necessarily a bad thing, but everyone will say, you know, I I would rather take the train. I'm like, oh yeah, ever seen a train wreck? But you know, no <laughs> no one gives a shit, right? When you say that, they are, oh the train sounds much safer. I'd much rather take the train. As it takes two days. They're going to do this high-speed rail between Los Angeles and San Francisco. And I looked at the plans. It's going to take you three hours. It's a 45-minute flight. You take, and it's not going to be cheaper. You can't do it for less than Virgin America, 75 bucks. No, it's not going to be cheaper. So, or 75 you can sometimes get $59 on that flight. No, it's going to be, well, all you have to do, here's all you have to do is you have to look at the Amtrak, because I've always considered taking this thing. The Amtrak train from, uh, 
Emeryville, Oakland, uh, San Francisco, wherever you want to call it, uh, to um, advertising, whatever you want to call it, all the way up to Seattle. Yeah. Uh, and you, you, you have to take a sleeper because it's a 24-hour trip. You can drive from San Francisco to Seattle in about 14 to 15 hours max. That's what's stopping and, you know, taking a crap and eating dinner. <laughs> and the train takes 24 hours. I know. It's a step backwards. It's Atlas Shrugged reinvigorated. Atlas you didn't have to throw that in there. What? You're just hard up for turning the Atlas Shrug thing in at any opportunity. Well, it's the, it's the Taggart Transcontinental. That's what they're building. It's yeah, so the obvious. Transcontinental. But anyway, the point is, I when I'm in Europe, I, I like to take the train because it's a uh, for one thing, the cities are it's amenable for train for trains because there's a bunch of packed in cities. The United States is not amenable. It's that in Europe, it's not 400 miles between every little city. It's you know, it, they're all over the place. Yeah, it's doable. Yeah, and I mean, the whole size of Holland isn't even 400 miles wide. <laughs> no, what no. is it? Anyway, it's like 40. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little more than 40. <laughs> <laughs> so you, so a train makes sense. and But here it doesn't make any sense. We have too many wide open spaces. And so it's the easiest thing to do is to fly. And I think anyone who travels around the world or travels a lot knows this and, and knows the impracticality of these trains, or even if you've, if you've priced them out. I have taken the train uh, a number of times. I've taken some fancy trains. I took the, the Crescent from uh, Washington, D.C. to Atlanta, Georgia one year because I was in New York or I was in Washington, D.C. I guess I was in Washington, D.C. and I had to go to the Comdex in Atlanta and I, I couldn't really get a room. It was cheaper to take the train as slow as it was because this was a, this was a practical consideration. I'd have to have spent the night in Washington, D.C., which was going to cost me like 100 bucks. The train over the overnight or sleeper car plus the cost of the the flight offset by the cost of the flight was about twenty five bucks cheaper, and I slept in the on the train, saved the hotel, and I got in the next morning in Atlanta. But it was a long long trip, but it was kind of amusing, and you got fed. And and people always say, well, at least you'll see something. At least you'll see something of the landscape. It's, it was night. Yeah, exactly. If they threw some hookers on board, I'd, I'd be uh, inclined. Yeah, that's not happening anytime soon. But anyway, so in Europe, I, 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 I do like to look at the scenery on a regular train. The, the high-speed train, the irony of those, you don't see anything because they're in a trench. Yeah, exactly. They, they are in a trench. They're in a trench, and so they put them in a trench so 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 cars won't interfere with the passage, and people and kids can't throw rocks at them because in the United States, can you imagine? Yeah. Here yeah. comes the high school. You think you can hit it, Billy? <laughs> I I mean, everywhere in the world, the car carriers have cars on them. In the United States, they're covered with. First, they were covered with with like plastic. Now they're covered with steel, so the cars are inside because kids. All over the country, you know, in the middle of nowhere, USA, throw rocks at the cars. Oh, look at the Mercedes. You hit the Mercedes. All right. <laughs> Good job. Big dent in the side of the thing, busted windows. So, I mean, this is what's going to, so you have to put these things in a trench. I mean, in, in Europe, they do it for not because of the kids, like they would have to here, but they just do it because of the, they like to the speed down there. They don't, you know. <laughs> Sorry. Any reason to play <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne is is good enough, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Anyway, so well, well, um, let, let me just take wait, off. Let me, let me get my, I'm boring you stiff, so I'm going to tell them. Yeah, one you are. I'm story. so bored now. <laughs> I, I go from Hanover to uh, Croatia uh, occasionally on the train, and when I go to see Seabit, I'll go to visit my 
publisher in Croatia. So, and, and I could fly, but I'd rather take the train because it's a good day trip. It takes, it takes like nine hours. It would take me about a half an hour to fly. But I get a good view and it's kind of relaxing. I don't mind doing it, but I, I don't see it working in the United States under any circumstances, except along the eastern seaboard between Philadelphia, Boston, Washington, D.C., and New York. So there's one more theory I have for you. Today, and I've not heard if it has been delayed or not due to the volcanic ash cloud. Today, launching from uh, Cape Canaveral, the X-37B space vehicle. Have you heard about this little uh, ditty, John? Yeah, that's supposed to be our next generation. Uh... Yeah, well, it's an Air Force uh, machine. It looks kind of like... Uh, it looks like a mini space shuttle with like teeny wings. Of course, it's an uh, quite secretive. It has a, a payload bay, and uh, it's very unclear if there's anything or what would be in the payload bay, or sorry, the experiment bay. They don't have. It's not as big as the other one, so it's not going to hold. No, it's that very much. small. It's, it's a well. You don't need much. <laughs> so maybe they just wanted clear skies for this thing. Well, that's all. <laughs> Look out! Here it comes! It can't It's out of control. I'm just saying. Look, we're, by by Thursday's show, I guarantee you will know a hell of a lot more. Something is up. Aviators are getting pissed off. Uh, this was this was a government controlled operation, not an aviation uh, 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 shutdown. Aviators did not call for this. No, no aviator is saying, "Oh, it's really dangerous." This blue sky. Blue, clear sky, beautiful weather. You even keep uh, prop planes at lower altitude out of the sky. You know, can you imagine how great it would have been if they just said, "All right, you know, we're going to let all general aviation, anyone who can fly VFR in this beautiful weather, you can." You know, I know guys who got twin engine props, tur uh, turbo props. Maybe, maybe that will be a problem. But at low altitude, they can take ten passengers. We could have really done a lot of good. So I'm thinking you what what you want is uh, one of these uh, you want a uh, just to see what would happen mm -hmm. because then you don't want to do it with a person so you'd have to have a robotic some plane that you could control remote control you, you can use remote control like you would with a with a predator so you take off like a little Piper Cub and uh, off of a landing strip in France and oh, I can, you I have can a, tell you I I know what will happen I know what well, these, wait, let me let me I know what these guys give you do. the scenario then okay. you tell me all right. You put a crash test dummy in it, so it looks like somebody's <laughs> flying the plane, and you're flying the thing, and, and it, it, it only really has one function, is that when the jets come by and they, and they start pointing down, get down, get down, uh, a, a, a robotic hand comes up and flips them off. So uh, the wing commander actually told me, he says, the Mirage guys, he says, they're really nice once, and then when you don't comply, the next thing they do is they put their wings underneath yours and will and will hit upwards so they'll start banging your wings with their mirage wings and then they'll get in front of you and turn on the afterburner he says <laughs> and melt your plane no you know you you won't, no, that's what i said i said no no you won't melt but you will land he says when that happens when one of those mirages turns on the afterburner in your face when they hit you in the face, no, you will definitely land. So that's what's going to. So, but these guys are nasty. Can you imagine the wing underneath yours going tick, 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 tick? You know, that's frightening. Yeah, I would think. <laughs> you don't want any of that. Any of it. Oops, knocked your wing off. Hey, I, I only have one uh, just moving along here since uh, we really don't have any information other than it's weird. Um, I have one little ditty on uh, poppies.
uh, for, for today's early morning service. And it was so funny. When I heard this, someone sent this clip to me from, uh, I think it's the BBC. This is uh, it's actually a very sad uh, case, a, a British serviceman uh, who's um, in Afghanistan, whose uh, uh, vehicle was uh, blown up by an, uh, not an, an anti-tank mine, not an IED, but an anti-tank mine. But listen to what he says about the Afghan police. To support the soldiers. And there's also been that big row about protection on other vehicles used by the armed forces and kit as well. Let's go to Bradford and Tulip Mazumdar, who's been talking to one former soldier, Carl Klaus. So I'm just in Carl's living room at the moment. Massive 50-inch telly on one side of the room. And as I walk to the other side, there's a picture of Carl and his mates uh, smiling, sat around on their armoured vehicle. This, though, was taken just a few hours before Carl's life changed changed forever. Carl, thanks for having us over today. Yeah, that's fine. So just start by telling us what happened to you that day. Uh, our, our vehicle hit an anti-tank mine, flipped it on its right-hand side. I suffered over 20 injuries and um, eventually one of them resulted in my left leg after being amputated below the knee. So how's life changed for you since then? By the way, great question. Well, Walking sucks, bitch. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> here, here it comes. I can't run. Uh, I struggle to walk up and down hills. Um, I'm going out on weekends, going to nightclubs, playing sport, doing everything that 21-year-olds do, really. And then all that came to a, a, a halt. As I'm sure you know, a lot has been said, hasn't it, about whether troops are given good enough kit. Do you think they are? Um, well, the vehicle I was in when, uh, when we hit the mine... The, the only armour basically is, was a 5 mil belly plate on the Ewimic, which obviously to an anti-tank mine is nothing. If I was in a Mastiff, I could safely say that I'd be talking to you now with two legs. We were promised vehicles, new vehicles, just let down time after time after time again. Obviously the general election is coming up in a matter up. of weeks. What do you think whoever gets into government should do about Afghanistan? I'd pull out. When I was on convoy in Afghanistan, the Afghan police were on heroin. We were going to check. There you go. Did you hear it? Yeah, the Afghan police are on heroin. They're all on heroin. Of course all, they are. They're all stoned. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like... It's just is this gl- a shocker? It's just shocker. glossed over. It's like, oh, oh, they're on... Oh, okay. That's no problem. Yeah, I know. They, it's like heroin. nobody knows how to glom on to the good... You know, the, the, the reporters today, especially the broadcast journalists, they can't... They, they, they're they so self-absorbed or something. They're not listening. They don't hear these these little comments that you would normally jump on and say, What? Yeah, they're all they're on heroin, on heroin? Exactly. and then you go right into that form of questioning. You start asking about the poppies and how they get the heroin. Where's the heroin? You'd go right into it, but they don't even hear it. It's weird. Uh, uh, I'm just trying to clear up a couple things right off the bat. You know what we've been talking about? Uh, how naked is now porn? And uh, so I see yeah, the redefinitions of common day usages. Right. So it's a theme it, of ours. It's getting really, really bad. This uh, this report. Newspeak. Newspeak. Yeah, exactly. Doublespeak. Is it Newspeak or Doublespeak? I think or it's Newspeak. Newspeak. Whatever. CNN releases a report titled Porn for the Blind. Porn for the Blind. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I'll just play a little bit of it since you've seen it. There are plenty of racy pictures for people who can see, but if you're blind, this may be the only way to cop a feel. <laughs> what? 
raised images of naked bodies with braille descriptions alongside. Some are calling it porn for the blind. There you go. So there's basically this braille book, and they've got people naked. You know, actually artistic pictures of people naked. And this whole report is about porn for the blind. Porn. Does it does it arouse you? Does it does it make you horny? <laughs> It's crazy. Where'd you get that voice? <laughs> Does it make you horny? <laughs> that's good. Thank you. That's you should what, use it more. That's how I talk to Mickey. Does it make you horny? <laughs> that's what I heard, yes. <laughs> yeah, it really works, by the way. It, it Apparently a huge turn on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, uh, you're right. The uh, the, the lack of uh, chem, chem trails is, is helping you out. Yes. So... Uh, so are we done with this topic? Yeah, do you want to do Haiti now or later? Because that's my other good one. Oh, uh, well, let's see. How are we doing? Uh, you can do it now. if you. I mean, what, what's going on in Haiti that's besides the <sighs> ongoing scam? Well, the, sca- yeah, the scam does continue. Uh, I'll give you three news articles, and then I'll play a little bit of uh, uh, a, a clip, which is just too funny. So first of all, Bill Clinton... Uh, is downplaying the possibility of corruption, sidetracking, rebuilding an earthquake-devastated Haiti. Uh, he keeps speaking at these conferences where they're going to decide how to spend the $8 billion to rebuild it. Uh, he had a meeting at the University of Miami with the Clinton Global Initiative. We know one thing for sure. If you like the gunfight that's going on in northwest Mexico, you'll love Haiti 10 years from now, if that's what thrills you. This horrible chaos from Monterey to the border... You will just love Haiti if you walk away from it. So now it's justifying uh, the total takeover of uh, of the country. Then uh, Clinton and Bush, and I wish I had uh, audio from this. Maybe someone can find it for me. Uh, it, it was a letter to the Democratic and Republican leaders, but it would be so funny as a sound drop. Uh, provided to the Associated Press, uh, the, CIA, the friends of the CIA, Uh, The former presidents say, please buy clothes from Haiti. You know, those people who work for $3 a day. Please buy clothes from Haiti. They need help. Don't send your cash. Buy their clothes. It's unbelievable. That is pretty bad. And then a Snora, Snora, one of our producers, uh, uh, was listening to a Nationals game the other day for the Giants, San Francisco Giants, even though he's Norwegian, he's a big Giants fan. And uh, he heard, he heard says he heard an ad, which we have to find. I only got the email this morning, so didn't have time to research it. Quote, all of April month is Haiti Toothbrush Donation Month. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it's Haiti Toothbrush Donation Month. Send us, send us your toothbrush. I don't understand. <laughs> this thing is out of control. Shysters show up and take advantage of people's goodwill and generosity. So then the Red Cross gets put on the spot. The Red Cross, of course, you know, how I don't know how many millions went to the Red Cross to help Haiti. And of course, the Red Cross is like if if you look at the video that or the sparse video that is showing up from Haiti. Uh, uh, ominously uh, absent is Red Cross. So here is one of the elitist bitches from the Red Cross who's sitting in her uh, mahogany office and listen to what she has to say. She's President Gail McGovern. 
Why people are saying they don't see the Red Cross on the ground in Haiti. Go ahead, Gail. Why don't you tell us? Yeah. It would have been so easy for us to send hordes of volunteers to Haiti. And then people would see us on the ground. <laughs> but why bother when we can just keep the money? But it would create chaos for so many reasons. First of all, there's no shortage of people that would like to go. And when I made the two trips to Haiti, frankly, I wanted to stay and help. Oh, but I, but I had a luncheon. I couldn't stay. <laughs> it was impossible. I wanted to help, but I had to leave. But the problem is every person that is there is going to require food. Every person that is there is going to require shelter, and it's just creating more mouths to feed. And it, as it turns out, we would have to fly people from all over the United States. With these things called airplanes, it's really difficult. To Haiti, and that is not a good use of our donors' dollars. No, 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 no. We need to invest that into our office and into our corporate fleet. Can you believe what this woman is saying? She's unbelievable. And she, and she does not stop. The, what we're doing instead is we have a, a core group of American Red Cross employees there in Haiti that are helping with material logistics, ensuring that trucks are being loaded with supplies. And then we are relying on the Haitian Red Cross, the tens of thousands of Haitian Red Cross volunteers to distribute the food. So I have another YouTube video which uh, unfortunately has no sound, and it's these Red Cross uh, operatives on the ground, and, and you literally see the guys putting on, like, these Red Cross, like, uh, um, you know, plastic vests. Hey, you're Red Cross now. Oh, okay. And you see them setting up tents, and it's the funniest thing, because they're, like, they're hammering pegs into the ground, they're hammering on their hands, they're missing the pegs. It's like a bunch of boneheads. They don't have anyone on the ground. This woman's full of crap. She's lying. And this has a lot of advantages to it. First of all, they speak Creole. Second of all, they know the countryside. Third of all, it creates fewer mouths to feed. And very importantly, it's psychologically empowering. This isn't our... Oh. John, we need to psychologically empower the poor Haitians who are about to be washed away. <laughs> wow. Is, is this incredible or what? I don't think psychological empowerment is the top priority at the moment. <laughs> I'm losing and my leg. <laughs> Let me empower you. We have to be very respectful of the people that live there and respectful of our counterparts that make up the Haitian Red Cross. And we want to make sure that when we leave, that there is a thriving, sustainable Haitian Red Cross to help the people of Haiti. Wait a minute. I thought there was already 10,000 people there who were already thriving and know what they're doing. There's does your double speak unbelievable. unbelievable so why not put the red cross logo on all of your supplies the next question is well i think that's a very good question you could identify that your money is actually going there and is being i have heard from people that have been on the ground in haiti that they don't see evidence of the american red cross and there's actually a very good reason for that oh. they're probably seeing our tents, our tarps, our food and supplies and emergency relief kits, wherever they go. But we have not chosen to slap our brand on oh. all of that supplies and on the tents and on, on the tarps. And the reason is we didn't want to hold up sending relief items into Haiti uh, and, and put the logo on it. That eats up time. And <laughs> 
<laughs> eats up time. It eats up time. She was there. First she says she was there. Then I've heard from people there. In a crisis like is what is happening in Haiti, we wanted to send things as quickly as possible and get it on the ground there for relief. So where are and they? And the other thing is putting our logo on people's temporary homes it, it just doesn't feel right. And we are all about... <laughs> Meanwhile, she's wearing a Red Cross uh, brooch encrusted with diamonds. She is, sure really? The- yeah, she's wearing a Red Cross brooch. Oh, yeah. Encrust- encrusted with diamonds? <laughs> uh, looks like it. <laughs> People of Haiti have what they need, not only physically, but also psychologically. So that's why we elected not to brand everything that's that's out there. But I can assure you that our presence is being felt by the people of Haiti. Yeah, the lack of it. Ugh. That's, you know, what a what a bunch of bull crap. And she's not like she's saying that we're, you know, our money is going to these people. They kept the money. You, you know, there was a good I think it was on 60 Minutes. I can't remember which. And I don't know if I have the clip. I know I don't have an audio clip this week. They were showing how where they're moving a lot. You know, they're putting up tent cities. Yeah. But instead of putting up anywhere near the town of Port au Prince, they've got them two or three miles away where there's no supplies, there's no water, there's nothing. And they're putting these tents up. And and they went on and showed, and the people are complaining. He said, what are we supposed to do yeah, out here? They're, 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 out the they're not, they're not, they don't want to go. They're staying they away from They don't want to go, right. They said, screw this. And so they would rather not be there. But meanwhile, they discovered there's all kinds of open space uh, in and around Port au Prince that just needs to be cleared. And they're doing that. And just putting up UN offices. Yeah, the United exactly. Nations putting in really nice trailers yeah. and they showed it. They said yeah. power supplies <laughs> and, and, you know, generators and trailers and, you know, beer kegs, uh, pool yeah, halls. <laughs> it's and a meanwhile, party. the people, you can take the people, hey, get out, get, get them out of here. They're Move. in the way. Move. It's just unbelievable. It's just unfucking believable. It, it, it drives me nuts. People are they're just waiting for him to die. Yeah, what will it be, John? Two, three weeks, maybe. Thousands die from rain floods in Haiti, and we'll be like, oh, oh if only we could gotten to him sooner. Ah, oh, we really tried. I would we- like to, anybody out there who listens to this show who who catches local reports because we only get a few, and but we do get them. But if you get a local reporter that uh, happens to give one of these reports from Haiti with this, you know, hey, I, I don't see any Red Cross or anything like that. If you can find some way to make a clip, and I would advise, of course, everybody to own a Zoom uh, H2 recorder, um, which you can hook to your television set and, and make uh, MP3s right from the from the audio feed without having to go through a, a miserable experience. And they're very inexpensive and handy. You can also uh, use them to bootleg rock concerts. Really yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually. Uh, I use my iPhone uh, memo recorder. It works pretty well. It doesn't sound too crappy. It's it's not that much worse than a line recording. Pretty good. Oh, there we go. As usual, it's time to lose John. Yeah, stream is back up. Okay. You know, that Time Warner cable thing you've got stinks. You know, it, it's the weirdest thing because I have uh, all kinds of network monitoring and it literally, it just drops out. They just, it just disconnects and it's, it's the router disconnecting from the entire network. And it's, uh, it's one of well, their... Why don't you get a different router? Maybe it's your router. 
It's one of these, uh, well, maybe. It's one of these router. It was their newest one. I said, get me the, the Doxis, best thing. The Doxis router that Time Warner gave you. Who made it? Uh, do you have a second? I got to look under the table. Yeah, we all have a second. <clears throat> uh, since the stream's running, I'll keep people entertained with my uh, with my ribald tales. No, don't do that. It's a Netgear. It's a Netgear. That's it's pretty a good. Gear. Yeah. And this is the one that Time Warner gave you. Yeah, it's a Netgear that plugs directly into the cable, and then it has Wi-Fi built in and uh, five uh, Ethernet ports. Hmm. Well, let's get you a better one. <sighs> if you think it's that, I mean, I'll I don't talk think to I don't think it is. I mean, uh, what I'm seeing is it's literally just the cable disconnecting periodically. It, it, I you know it makes no sense. But that's not a dox. Where was your doxis modem? You have to have a no, no. Oh, it's no. built into this thing. It's built into it. And before every show. I disconnect the, the. I turn the power off. I let it completely drain of all residual power. I plug it back in, so it, so I know that it's not overloaded or anything. Which actually seems to it might. It looks like it. Who knows? On Thursday, it dropped out three times. I don't know, John. I mean, I just don't know. And it okay. Well, I think I think by plan maybe. Let's see. I didn't even know that Netgear made a Doxis modem. Yeah, it's brand new. It doesn't I look? It doesn't have a, a model number on it anywhere. It's a small. It's a small little box. Yeah, Netgear's Doxis. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Netgear Cable Gateway earns Doxis 3.0 certification from Cable Labs, December 14th. This is probably what you guys the CG3200D. It's too new. Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't know, but let's talk to Netgear about it. Did you Just see? Can't continue. Yeah. Did you see? Uh, I know you probably didn't. Did you see Bill Maher? I have clips. Oh, good, because I got so angry. Ah. I got so angry at that show. Uh, wait a minute. Before you do that, I, we, let's play the beer, Bill, the beer Mar clips um, in the proper order. I think, they, I think I sent them to you in the right order. Uh, let me see. Find your little scent box here. I've got uh, the Chinaman thing. Yeah, well, here's the, here's the, okay, here's what, the thing that got, that got me irked was Mar on Breeders. You might want to just play that. This is probably, probably part of what got you irked. <laughs> there was a lot that got me irked. Situation where I think the concern shouldn't just be about people, such a large proportion, not paying federal income taxes. They pay all but, the taxes but, you mentioned, but they haven't got the income. But the, okay. What are they going to buy? But the IRS, <laughs> our economy the IRS has sort of become an organ of so social engineering. Mm -hmm in America, which it never used to be. That is kind of a big new thing. And they bribe why, that, that's what you have a child. If you have a child, you get a tax credit. Shouldn't you get a crack tax debit? I mean that kid's gonna Yeah, this is a guy who has no kids, right? Yeah, no, he's got no kids. He hates children. He once on his on his uh, show, uh, Politically Incorrect, talked about how, how it wasn't a bad idea to beat kids. Seriously. <laughs> and uh, the guy is, is he's, uh, he's and, and this show, by the way, is interesting because he just has no balance on the on the uh, panel. Everybody is very Dude, left. -wing. He had two Brits, two British people telling us we need VAT in our country. Get, exactly. out, of, get out of my country, you bitches. And the, uh, this Laura Flanders from Grit, Grit TV, TV. who's oh. a, 
who's just a I yeah, yeah. no don't say it but that word yes I I was yelling at my television let, let me play the rest of the breeders clip it has like thirty seconds left it's worth it it cost everybody a lot of money Give you a yeah. why <laughs> why uh, I, I mean really seriously why why is a mortgage a deductible why are all the you know why are, are churches yeah. taxing why, why why do they make all these judgments about what's good and what's bad what do, why do some people get a break why do rent why are renters and breeder Bill, there's a bigger renters problem, and breeders. Is, a, a bigger problem, problem, which is tax, taxing income. We should be taxing consumption more and income less. There we should it have is. A value oh, added yeah. tax. That's what most other countries are run. These damn Brits. Now, I got nothing against my brothers and sisters from Gitmo Nation East, but these two jabronis. Now, let me bring up something that's a premise based. Marr goes off on this saying they've become social engineers recently. Say, well, recently, there's always been a deduction for, for dependents since, you know, since they actually started adding, you know, since the 1920s. And there's always been a deduction from a mortgage deduction since the 1920s. I mean, this is not new. What do you think? They, was it introduced last week? So I mean, so he's so his history is all screwed up. So, but here's what the show actually went off the track very early during his monologue. He was he was about to. In fact, he did say the word Chinaman. Yeah, that was which I have a clip of here. Yeah. It's the Chinaman yeah. clip, yeah. and it rattled him. He, he, people oh yeah, who have he, not he, seen this week's show, find you, you got yeah. another few days to see it because they rerun it a million times on HBO. He was physically rattled yeah, by his own gaffe. Yeah, it's like a, it's it like hurt the racist. rest of the show. He was, he was mulling this over for the entire show. He, play the Chinaman clip. He's a racist. Uh, he knows it's Obama's fault. He just can't figure out how. <laughs> the, the context is uh, the president bowing to... Uh, to the to the Chinaman. <laughs> yeah, to the Chinaman. <laughs> this week they were very upset with Obama because he had his big nuclear summit and he apparently bowed a little to the Chinese president. Well, that's what you do. He's a China, not a Chinaman. He's a he's a man from China. Whatever the. <laughs> he's a. <laughs> Please don't write me. Anyway, you know. Yeah, yeah. he's a racist. Well, he's a racist. We know he's an ageist. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's a racist. Of course he is. And then the he's, whole, he's, and really, the whole, he's a he's a terrible guy. I and, mean, a big, just, and, and a big part of the show was about um, the which they consistently he consistently calls the tea baggers, tea baggers, tea baggers, tea baggers. Yeah, he, he will not say tea party, which is the proper such, is what they are to such a, an extent that that one of his guests actually said the tea bag party. By by accident, because he had right. been hammering. This was total mind control. Teabagger, teabagger. And then the the whole, I don't know if you have that clip or not, but the whole uh, panel discussion starts off with, well, we find out that what this is really about is people don't hate their government. They just hate black people in government. Oh, like, yeah. He harps on this. So what, what is that based on? It's based on nothing. It's it, it's, it's 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 he's creating racism. This guy is horrible. Get him off the air. Do you have any more well, clips from this? Uh, no, I just took dust? two. I can't take much of that character. Well, so, the, so I, I just want to say that the they have the panel, and then they bring on a guest, and this is this is what frightened me the most because here it is. Here's your next war on terror bit. This is Lawrence Bender. This is the the guy who produced an inconvenient truth. He now has a new movie, which of course was launched at uh, Sundance. Oh, it's 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 a beautiful movie. 
John, have you seen? I saw it at Sundance. It was so impressive. It gave me chills. It really is just, it frightened me. It, it, Bill Maher actually called his movies more frightening than those that Wes Craven makes. And he's made this new movie, Countdown to Zero. And uh, Countdown to Zero, which of course was screened uh, for, uh, I think the president might have even have been there, uh, is the inconvenient truth version of terrorists have nuclear weapons. That's the new thing. That's what this whole nuclear summit is about, is about terrorists have nukes, terrorists will set off nuclear weapons. Now news reports, oh, if, if anyone attacks Iran, nukes will go off all over America. We've got our dirty bombs, nukes everywhere, terrorists have nuclear weapons. Don't you think that if terrorists had nuclear weapons, they would have set them off by now? Oh, yeah. I mean, kaboom, yeah, They would have please. set them off by now. Please. What's the point of waiting? It's you know, uh, it, but the whole thing is just to scare you. The terrorists have nuclear weapons. They've got them. Countdown to zero. The scariest movie ever. More scare. More scary than Inconvenient Truth. Now, from the makers of Inconvenient Truth, we bring you Countdown to Zero. Put your head between your knees and kiss your ass goodbye. You're all fucked. You're doing a lot of voices today. I'm feeling good. Uh, must maybe there's something to that uh, theory about the uh, and it's always that Jeff Skull guy who's uh, who's paying for this. Isn't he like one of the eBay founders? Maybe I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's always he's always financing this crap. <laughs> yeah, Jeff. Skull. Yeah, you know it makes money. It entertains the public, which scares them. I mean, like you can see, like you said, Wes Craven and this guy—they're the same. You know, just the same, just a different version of the same thing. You know, scary, scary movie. You know, and there's a fiction, fiction. I mean, like uh, Inconvenient Truth. You know, bullshit. <laughs> Whoa! Yay! Nice. All right. So hey, uh, let's just talk about some of the supporters of this show because they've helped us out tremendously with our media assassination, which I think we're uh, doing a fine job of this morning. Well, if you call that media. Yeah. Well. Um, yeah, we have a, uh, had some good contributions this week, uh, especially at the uh, uh, producers level. But we've got to let's run through a few of the people that sent us some money uh, and support did us for this week. Anastasia Perov. Uh, in Mississauga, Ontario, $100. Jason Williams, uh, Pittsburgh, California. Once more from Jason Williams and Paul uh, Nariman. The time we're calling out our friend Eric Fought, F-O-U-G-H-T, from Brentwood, California, for being a douchebag. Douchebag. He's a regular listener and is yet to donate. Damn. Okay, then we have a lot of, a, a few 5510s, or actually only two, which is odd. Robert Campbell, two nickels on the dime from Walworth, New York, with a long note. He's been an episode, episode one listener, has always been remiss until, until now to donate. He's heard stories about the karma. He needs the karma, apparently. He needs some. And uh, his wife, oh, he's, <laughs> he brings to mind a story. I think he reminds you of your plane. Uh, a number of years ago, my wife and I bought a timeshare. 
<laughs> this turned out to be one of the reasons we were in debt. <laughs> Enough to want to sell it now. We were contacted by a few different companies to sell, and each want money up front for marketing slash advertising costs. Never pay up front money for anything unless you're hiring an ad agency. One such company, and most of those work from the from the from the percentage of the buy anyway. One such company did get two hundred fifty seven dollars from us and only fed us lies. My donation of fifty five ten is ten percent of what I will donate when it does sell. Okay. Nice. And yes, my aircraft is still for sale at controller.com. It's the November two seven seven Delta Sierra. Uh I'll move it for almost anything. You know, I had a guy try and there's like some university that was uh, needed a plane to put a, an electric engine in. I actually talked with him for a while. It's like, I'll just sell the body. <laughs> we'll keep the engine. It's always good for it. like, please, I need to sell this thing. It's like the aviation market, if you haven't noticed, is getting worse. Yeah. Something about not being able to fly. At all. Uh-huh. Nelson Ferreira, New Rochelle, New York, two nickels on the dime on behalf of Indira Hoffman, the sexiest, most courageous, and strong wife in the universe. Yeah, baby. Hot. Um, hot, hot, hot. Sean Smith, uh, Ashland City, Tennessee, 5011. Testing the karma theory. I'll let you know. Looking forward to my happy. Uh, let me slide that over. Ending. Oh, <laughs> Ooh. sorry about that. <laughs> okay. He's looking forward to his happy ending. Sliding Le- over indeed. <laughs> Leith Morrison, Brussels, Ontario. Uh, he says he's get- paying us in Canadian, which is worth more than American money, apparently. Alan Bowe is Langley, British Columbia, uh, 50. And then Joe Petricini, Larry Corpy, Pelsmacher, uh, Neil Lemma, and... Uh, well, they're all, all part of the Knights program. I just thought I'd mention it. The Debt 50 comes up every month. And uh, Neil Lemma and uh, Michael Rieger, normally I don't uh, mention this, but uh, them along with Pelsmacher actually got in a $30 monthly plan, which is nice. Yeah. Other notes? Uh, none. Well, let's just uh, thank our uh, executive producers, uh, Werner Flipson, who donated $333.33. AJ Tissier, uh, also uh, the Magic Threes, and then Matthew Hawking, who donated $333 even, uh, but he did it at 3.30 a.m. in the morning, which gives you extra bonus points. And then our uh, associate executive producers, um, uh, iShare Media, who, uh, now Eric the Shill says he's a knight, so should we just go ahead and do it? Well, uh, okay. What the hell, John? I share media. If you are just one person or an entire group, please kneel before us. Uh, John, you better get it out. There you go. Ooh, yours is sharp today. Due to your total donation equaling at least $1,000, we hereby knight you, Sir I share media. Night of the No Agenda Roundtable. Please enjoy your hookers and blow. Hey, John, sheath that thing, will you? Hey, hey, oh, hey. I can't get it in. There we go. So, um, uh, everybody, uh, I should get you know, try in. to understand what we're doing here on the show. We are publicly supported. We're listener supported. We only are listener supported. We take no other money any other way. So, and as long as we're getting paid to do the show from the listeners, we will do the show 
for the listeners and and pretty much uh, uh, try to keep them educated and informed from the stuff, the research that we uncover. Now, you have to remember, we do this twice a week, uh, which is four hours a week. And if you go to a movie or something, you, you see two hours, if you went to two movies, you think about it as a couple of movies in terms of your time. It helps people who are commuters. It's really listened to more commu- listened to by more commuters than anybody else. And just think about what it, what benefits you get out of it at, compared to a movie and, and help us out here. Go to noagendashow.com, uh, Devor dot org slash n a or dvorak dot org slash n a s also uh, uh, channel dvorak dot com slash n a and you can find different programs you can donate uh, uh, into. And I'd just like to also thank Nina Kristen Hetland as our third uh, associate executive producer for donating uh, two hundred dollars to the cause. Um, on track, I guess. Uh, getting looking better for full time. Uh, dedication to the program for me it really will take <laughs> selling the plane <laughs> and for you john i think just need more money we'll, uh, we'll don't send us toothbrushes okay no no Whatever toothbrushes all we need is cash yes we do um, uh, by the way, I also have a letter going out this week thanking all the people who donated to the No Agenda stream. And I'm also and in the letter, and people in the mailing list will also get this letter. There is a direct deposit. Uh, people every once in a while say, you know, I, I don't like PayPal, or they, or they can't get to PayPal like in India. Although, you know, it's mostly Indians that tell me that they're cheap in, in India anyway, and nobody cares. But you can do direct deposit through a, a wire transfer, and that's probably a good solution to a lot of people. Hey, John, I have a little trivia for you. Yeah. You'd like to do a little trivia for a second? Uh, no, but go, go for it. Okay. Uh, here we go. Who said this? Haiku is an awakening of the spirit, away from technocratic rationality, away from the sophistication, attention-seeking, and glitter. Back to basics. Our time is in need of simplicity. Al Gore. No, no. Who is Jerry Brown. No, come on. Who is Clinton? <laughs> no. Who is Haiku Hermann? Oh, her, oh, I knew this. Haiku Hermann von Rumpoy. Yes, he has finally released his book of haikus. This is the president of the United States of Europe, who uh, Nigel Farage has likened to the uh, having the personality of a damp dishcloth. Uh, quoted, uh, he actually quoted uh, Charles de Gaulle uh, at his the release of his haiku book and saying, gentlemen, do I look like a dictator? <laughs> Which I think is just mint. Is that what he said? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I look like a dictator. Yeah, uh, I don't have the audio of it. Actually, he does. Of course he looks like a dictator. He looks, it looks like that Ceausescu character that was, horrible. that was a dictator in Romania. Uh, as de Gaulle, although I cannot compare myself with him, I would say, gentlemen, do I look like a dictator? Um, so he released his book of haikus. Um, I will read one to you, and then I will give you his uh, Fl- Flemish and French reading of another one, which will I, trans- I will translate for you on the fly. Because uh, this is coming from the President of the United States of Europe, representing over 400 million people. Soon to have his own army. A haiku by Hermann von Rumpoy. In the nearby ditch, toads mating passionately inaugurate spring. It's beautiful, isn't it? Okay, another one. 
Frost has now hardened the folds of winter soil. Tomorrow it will thaw. It just sounds like the, stu- the banal post that my son, uh, if you go to Twitter, <laughs> slash 122. That's exactly what it sounds like. Just, he just puts up these stupid commentaries, and he's been doing I don't know how I can maintain this, by the way. Let's, let's, listen, to, let's listen to some uh, some of his own readings, and I'll translate it for you. Here it so he's actually saying... The final part of the of the haiku has to be a point. It has to be a paradox. Thank you, Herman. Twee dagen weg. Two days gone. De wereld is veranderd. The world has changed. De fruitboom bloeit. The fruit the fruit tree blossoms. <laughs> it's beautiful. I have tears in my eyes. This guy, this guy needs counseling. And he's going to read it again. Twee dagen weg. Gone for two days. De wereld is veranderd. The world has changed. De fruitboom bloeit. The fruit tree blossoms. And if that wasn't enough, let's do it in Un French. Un de jour. <laughs> Un monde qui a changé. Le verger en fleurs. Do it again. Absent de jour. Un monde qui a changé. Le verger en fleurs. Standing ovation. That's what we're up against. The President of the United States of Europe, ladies and gentlemen. That's the guy who is going to rule the world. Gotta love it. All right. <sighs> so well, let's go into some uh, some clips. Hey. Here's a good one. Uh, there's this guy I'm listening to... Uh, He's a new senator from Nebraska, your uh, favorite state. Uh, I, I like Nebraska. Boys Club. Oh, yes, of course. Boys Town. Boys Town. Boys Town. Yes, Sorry, boys not town. Boys There's no Boys Club anymore. Now it's the Boys and Girls Club. Yeah. Mike Johans, uh, the new Nebraska senator, he's on C-SPAN during a vote, and they're grilling him about the economy and what can be done about this new... And he's talking tough. So play the... Uh, Blanche? Pre, pre, no, no. Pre Glass Steagall uh, doesn't go. This thing doesn't. Just play that clip. Pre. Pre. Mark, Illinois from Diane, Independent. Go ahead, please. Uh, yes. Oh, this is the C SPAN call in show? Yeah, no, by, by the way, this woman calling in is hilarious. I think she's. I think personally that she's in the tank but whatever the case is she actually makes kind of drunken sense and of course he picks up the uh, ball after that nice Mark, illinois from diane independent go ahead please uh yes my question is is if we don't rein in too big to fail the way these financial institutions are intertwined we're never going to let them fail whether there's a republican or a democrat in the white house it doesn't matter we're going the american people are going down the tubes watching both parties sell us out for contributions from these banks Uh, she's my new hero i love this woman I have not heard it said that simply. I know, it's like I was stunned myself. This is what needs to be corrected. 
Uh, Diane, you could not be more right. Uh, one of the first, I'm a fairly new senator. I've only been there about a year and a half. Uh, but one of the first votes I had was the second piece of the TARP funding, the federal money that, in my judgment, has really become a slush fund uh, for every cause out there. I voted against it. I just thought it was the wrong course of, of action, the wrong direction. And Wouldn't it be funny if she said, in the morning? <laughs> we need to f- firmly plant a stake in the heart of too big to fail. Th- this idea that you get so big that taxpayers are duty-bound to bail you out is absurd and ridiculous. The only way I believe we can do that is pass a very, very strong piece of legislation here. I do not believe that this current bill goes far enough. And uh, Okay. He's talking tough. It's not going far enough. We got it. By the way, everyone should note out there, and any, anyone who studies it knows that all the institutions that were too big to fail that were sale, uh, are bigger now than they were before. Uh, yeah. Every too big to fail company is really a lot bigger than it was. Yeah, and they acquired a lot of other companies just become bigger. Yeah, and they're huge. But anyway, so this guy's talking tough. So meanwhile, uh, Somebody comes up, some guy calls in next, and not the next one, but shortly down the line, and talks about Glass-Steagall. Now, Glass-Steagall was a, a bill that was passed during the Great Depression, that it was, came out of the Great Depression, along with a lot of other uh, provisos to keep these banks in check from getting too big to fail and, and from banks taking on too many things, selling insurance, selling stocks, and doing all kinds of mixed, uh, mixed bag of things. It was prohibited. And uh, the Glass-Steagall, along with the banking acts that, have, that kept banks from doing interstate banking and a lot of these other uh, rules and regulations, kept everything in check, and they were all repealed. Glass-Steagall, the guy mistakes and makes the mistake of saying Glass-Steagall was from 1999. Glass-Steagall was was eliminated in 1999 by Clinton, uh, along with the Democrat, I'm sorry, along with the Republican Congress. So this guy brings up an interesting question. Now, listen to what Mr. Get Tough, oh, we got to get tough. We got to do more. Listen to what his response to this question is. Next up is Gail on Belgrade, Maine, Republican line. Good morning, Gail. Good morning. Uh, Senator, I did want to ask you a question. Uh, Some of the better accounts that I had read about the genesis of the financial meltdown in 2008, two culprits kept coming up all the time in all the accounts that I read. It was the expansion of uh, the monetary base from the Federal Reserve that created the housing bubble. But the other thing was the repeal of the 1999 Glass-Siegel Act that put up a wall between regular commercial banks where people had FDIC insurance that you just put your savings in there and the investment banks. Do we need to just stop here for one second, John, and just explain that uh, that it was the Treasury who allowed all of these investment banks? And it's just, the bank is the wrong word. It's a company, investment company to become regular banks so they could get tar money. That's because they could not have done that if it wasn't for what this guy calls, by the way, Glass Siegel. It's Glass Siegel. <laughs> it's, it's Glass Seaman. That's what it is. But that was repealed under the Clinton administration, but with the help of a Republican Congress, and I believe it was led by Phil Graham, a Republican senator from Texas at the time. This seemed to give an implicit guarantee to the investment banks that when they when all these complicated derivatives and collateral debt obligations just collapsed they gave an implicit government guarantee that that happened we taxpayers bailed out these firms 
So when we bailed out AIG, it allowed the taxpayers to be able to have AIG pay Goldman Sachs and foreign banks. Isn't it time that we reinstitute Glass-Siegel to prevent that from happening again? And why isn't it a part of this new new bill? I would not go there. Um, ah. Let me offer a, a general thought. Okay, and you then, can stop it. He, now he just there. starts talking about something else. Yeah, good, this well, he asshole just... <laughs> was talking tough a minute ago, and then when it comes to Glass-Steagall, which I agree with, if it was in place, we probably wouldn't have this, this meltdown. But this guy, because there's some corruption within the Republican Party, and of course when they mentioned Phil Graham as being behind the repeal of Glass-Steagall, and if you start looking into Phil Graham and his, and his lobbyist wife and check out what they're up to, it's, it's enough to make you throw up. Guys like this are, are part of the problem. For those of you wondering what we're doing watching C-SPAN. It's what we do so you don't have to. C-SPAN. Somebody's got to watch it. It's what you support us for. So on C-SPAN, there's, by the way, I still have to get my education. I could, I was going to do my educational thing today, but now over the weekend, CNN ran an education special with this Bonehead yeah, yeah. head of the the, the head of uh, the Department of Education, the uh, Obama's guy, the yeah. Chicago. Of course. Uh, and it, unfortunately, now it gave me so much more new material that I've got to re-edit all this stuff, so it make, so it's not going to bore people totally stiff. Or maybe I'll just put the whole thing on a while, CD. I'm not sure. While you're while you're doing that, John, uh, uh, look up ERB. DRB? No, E, Echo, Romeo, Bravo. It's the uh, Education Report Board who, oh. are, who are making uh, pre-K four-year-olds uh, do tests. <laughs> I find, <laughs> yeah, I know. I had dinner last night with a, with a friend, and uh, she says, oh, we're really worried about this test. I said, but your kid's like four. Yeah, yeah, no, it's the ERB test. What is it? I don't know, but it's the ERB test. She has to be ready for the test. And they're rich, like four houses, like rich, rich, head funds rich. And they've got tutors for the four-year-old. Oh, this is sick. Oh, yeah, the ERB. You, ha- you have to look Education, into the- Educational records. Well, oh, thanks. Records, now i got even more to do. Oh, yeah, no, this is, this is awesome. <laughs> this is fantastic. So we'll do that in the future show. Uh, sorry for the interruption. I think you have more on this. Oh, i got plenty. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so but meanwhile, uh, listening to uh, uh, watching some stuff on CNN. But meanwhile, they had this uh, uh, on books, the books TV thing they do over the weekend too. And John, by the way, I just want people to know this is our life. Okay, so I have a dinner. All right, this is one of Mickey's friends. Her husband uh, runs a hedge firm, hedge hedge fund, and you know she actually had dinner, and we can get into that later said, uh, so what do you think of this Goldman thing? I said, uh, yeah, don't look over here. Uh, but anyway, I'm on my way, and John's like, C-SPAN 2 now. I'm like, oh, crap, Mickey, there's something on C-SPAN 2. And luckily, <laughs> I, have this, I have the C-SPAN app. So I fire up the C-SPAN app, and on the way to dinner, we're listening to C-SPAN 2 in the car. I just went, that is our life. That is what we do for you, so you don't have to. <laughs> Right. If we weren't doing this show, I can assure you we wouldn't be doing no, this. we wouldn't be doing that. We're actually ruining our lives doing yeah. this stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, so here's the thing. Here's the deal. So some months back, I saw this woman, Nicole Jalinas, and she finished a book called, or she did a book called After the Fall. And by the way, this is an alert to our uh, our book uh, uh, guys who have uh, 
No Agenda Bookstore and some other stuff online. And they put these books on for people to buy and they take a piece of the uh, Amazon sales and send us a chunk of that, which is very little because Amazon doesn't give them anything. But anyway, the book is by Nicole Jeline. It's called After the Fall and it's, it's a deconstruction of the financial yeah. crisis. Saving Capitalism from Wall Street and Washington. And then she was interviewing Harry Markopoulos, the guy, the whistleblower, uh, the Madoff whistleblower, who just released a book naming names called No One Would Listen. And this is another book you should buy. But here's the here's the backstory. So I t- tuned in to C-SPAN. This is about a month, month and a half ago when her book came out and she was giving a lecture to one of the uh, some foundation or some group of people or somewhere. And it was and I was fascinated because she was she was really interesting. She's dug up. But she is the nerdiest woman I have probably ever seen in my life, but somehow appealing in some weird may, way. May, may, I, and, may I quote from your uh, SMS text message uh, to me, John? Uh, uh, where is it? Uh, this gal, Nicole, hot ultra nerd girl, real one. And I put that in there for the following reasons. If anybody follows high tech, you, you listen to Veronica Belmont and all these different women that are on these podcasts and pod shows, they all call themselves nerd girls or geeks. You know, and none of them are. They, you know, they play with a few gadgets and they like an iPad and all. This woman is genuine. She's the real deal, man. She's the real deal. She is such a nerd. It's unbelievable. Yeah. So anyway, so I saw her and I said, "What well, this is?" She was, but I was fascinated by her material. By the way, the, the most interesting thing about it, she actually has a pro-Fed argument that's interesting. Yeah. She has a nice rack. I, I didn't notice that, to be honest. No, I'm, I'm Googling her. <laughs> You're Googling her. This is our life. Okay. So she, so, that, so I'm shocked to see her on again. And she's not only on, but she, although she's very unprofessional because she didn't sign off right and a few other things. But she's interviewing Mark Coppolis, and you've all seen him. He's the whistleblower, who is an ultra nerd. I mean, he's a wonk nerd. So we got this nerd. This, this, it was a dude, nerd fest. Nerd it was wonk. nerd porn. Going after each I mean, she's actually interviewing him. She's on his side on this thing. And it was one of the best, and you should look it up. It's on C- it was on C-SPAN, too. It was one of the best interviews I've ever seen because it was no holds barred, not trying to explain anything, just going for it. So let's listen to, I've got three clips from this, and let's listen to the first one, which is Marco, Markopoulos on bailouts. As, as you mentioned, they consider themselves to be sophisticated people. Should we have this differentiation between sophisticated investors and you and me investors, where the SEC says, for example, uh, if you've got a net worth of, of more than a million dollars, maybe two million now, and you're making more than $200,000 a year, you're on your own. There's really no consumer protections or investment protections for you. You can invest in all kinds of unregulated stuff. And everyone else has at least some rudimentary protections, although these things need reform as well. Should we even have that separation? No, because sophisticated investors, just because they're wealthy doesn't mean they know the financial capital Mm. markets that well. They deserve a level of protection, too. They pay taxes. They're citizens of this nation. We owe them a duty of protection. That would be like saying our armed forces should only protect people that are le- making less than 200000 a year. Right. Well, they protect all of us in the armed forces. The same with our regulators. They shouldn't be differentiating, saying, oh, you sophisticated, wealthy investors, you're on your own. It's okay for you to get wiped out. We don't care. Well, someone should care. There are people, too, 
and they have families, they pay taxes, they donate to charities, and they serve in charitable organizations. Why wouldn't we want to protect those poor people? I mean, the Madoff victims have got nothing but a bad deal from the mm -hmm. government. They got no protection, they got no sympathy, and now they're getting clawbacks. The people that got protection and bailed out with the big corporate entities. Right. How fair is that? They far more sophisticated entities. Even more. Right. And they got bailed out. So you're saying that the corporations are more sophisticated, they get bailed out, you get people that are making over 200000 a year, they may have over $2 million in assets, they get no protection, and anybody who's middle class gets plenty of protection. Mm. Well, it turned out the middle class didn't get protected any better than the rich people in this country did. Who did get protected? The corporations. So who does our country represent? seems to represent the corporations. She should throw in a swing line once in a while. She's always going hmm a lot too. But anyway, Mark Markopoulos is just a, a he. This guy could should be hitting the road as a politician because his stuff is it's it's very populous. It's very interesting. Let's play number two. Here we go. Take this to the larger level of what you just talked about, the unfairness of these financial industry bailouts, the perception among regular people that there's you know, free markets meaning failure for, for me, but not for thee if you're big enough and complicated enough. How can we put in place the right regulations uh, so that we don't have these bailouts next time around, that you can have financial companies go under without bankrupting the rest of the financial system. What is, what is Bernie Madoff uh, in, in this whole uh, tragic debacle teach us for five years from now, ten years from now? I think the Bernie Madoff scandal teaches us that if you're an individual, this country does not represent you. It represents corporations. It's mm -hmm. pretty clear. I know that the American people are angry as hell because I go out and give speeches and I meet them. And the anger is palpable. Right. What are they most angry about? They're angry at the bailouts. Mm -hmm. They don't understand why we bailed out the auto companies, why they weren't allowed to fail. They don't understand why AIG was allowed to exist. Fannie and Freddie Mac, Freddie Mac, they don't understand these bailouts. They don't mm -hmm. understand why we rescued the banks. And they don't understand why the banks are paying big bonuses. Why didn't they pay back the bonuses that they earned in the last 10 years? Right. They didn't earn them. They weren't real earnings. Right. If the Madoff victims have these clawbacks where they have to give back the money that they thought they had made, why not uh, the financial institutions as well? How fair is that? Mm. The CEOs get to keep the money that they didn't earn, and the Madoff victims have to give theirs back. How fair is that? It's not fair. It just shows the inequality. And who does government represent? It certainly doesn't represent us taxpayers. Right. As famously once said by an American president, the business of America is business. Yeah, I think it was Cleveland. Yeah. Okay, anyway, so this guy's on a roll. I'm watching. This is really interesting. I mean, but he's not saying anything that we don't talk about and that we don't express. No, but, 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 he's, but he is the guy who, who busted Madoff and busted him, like, years before. A decade. <laughs> That's a couple a of decade. years. A couple of years. And yeah. he's, by the way, in his book, he apparently names – they talk about this. He names a bunch of people that weren't brought up in the, in the congressional hearings. But the, the, the little bit of that is discussed here in the third and last clip. Do you you lay out these very good suggestions? What's your realistic assessments? I mean, do, from what you've seen in Congress over the past uh, year and a half now, nearly year and a half uh, since your exposure came to light, the regulatory bill that's before Congress right now, this idea of systemic risk regulator, consumer financial protection agency, do you think that they'll get this right? No, they won't, because 
No one's been held accountable in Washington. Mm -hmm. Not one regulator, not one SEC staffer has been fired. They need to be publicly fired. These people should not have their jobs. There's nothing in the current regulatory scheme that needs to be saved. We need to tear down and build anew. One computer system, new people that are zealous and properly compensated mm -hmm. to find fraud and prevent fraud and protect us taxpayers. And right now, no accountability, zero. So you're saying that even if the SEC people that you mentioned by name, uh, Megan Chung, a couple other ones, who, you know, according to yourself and the Inspector General, dismissed uh, these these findings uh, many times over, they're still working at the SEC? No, most of, many of them have left, but some mm -hmm. have been promoted. So if your penalty for screwing up massively, like in the Madoff case, is you get promoted or make more money, or you go that's to wrong. the private sector. And or you go to the private sector mm -hmm. and take a cushy partnership at a big law firm? Well, that doesn't seem like punishment to me. I want accountability in government. There's none. You have entire agencies that failed this nation. Not one person's been fired. Mm -hmm. How shocking is that? Should Americans be outraged? You bet they should be. Hallelujah. Right. Hallelujah. Well, that's being said on C-SPAN 2. And there's another C-SPAN clip that uh, I have to pull. Because, you know, amidst all of uh, the real news about... Uh, Flights not being to fly in Europe. Uh, there's a there's financial in, uh, hearings going on uh, that are about this very topic, and the uh, uh, the chief of mortgages of J.P. Morgan Chase, David Lohman, was asked by I think Barney Frank. That's why I got to find this. He said, uh, "So." Uh, if mortgage borrowers, uh, you know, can't get a mortgage, who do they turn to? So David Lohman says, come to me. Minutes later, about 50 borrowers from the audience burst through the gates and started surrounding him saying, hey, I'm here. And he ran away. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they actually aired that or not, but I have to find that. Come to me. And they came to him and he ran away. Coward yeah. bastard. Another liar. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. And then, of course, the... Uh, Don't look over here. Nothing to see here. Ooh, look at that. Is this, uh, oh, the SEC is suing Goldman Sachs. And no one's going to go to jail. It's like they screwed their customers. So what? Bunch of rich people. No one's, no one's going to... They, they might pay a fine, $100 million. Oh, there'll be some fines, but yeah. the fines will be Who well cares? within. It'd be like you paying a parking ticket. Exactly. Uh, $100 million. Here, yeah, let me, can I, will you take a check? Eh, whoop. No problem. That's what it's going to be. And that's like... Even the hedge fund people are like, oh, we're so happy. Goldman's... What are you talking about? The scam is, is $23 trillion. $100 million is not going to make any difference. Eh, just take that. Here's my check. Personal check, even. And of course, there's a story. Another nothing to see here moment was on the CNBC, which a lot of people you can get this. I think we have we have this on the blog. You can read it, look at it. Uh, apparently, they brought some guy on some some financial uh, math wizard. guy wizard. He comes on and they put a, a four quad box up with uh, our friend from the Council on Foreign <laughs> Relations, Aaron. Oh, well, of and, course. <laughs> and and the guy. These three people, the three people talk, and then I guess the fourth guy was sitting in the sidelines. He he immediately comes up with the con, and they're talking about Goldman Sachs, and one of them is Kramer, uh, Jim Kramer. And so the guy says, "Well, now I guess I can talk because after all these public relations people for Goldman Sachs are done, 
That's all really all he said. Wow. Kramer goes ballistic. <laughs> I'm not a public relations shill for Goldman Sachs. I'm <laughs> offended. I'm offended. I'm offended. And he makes. Oh, there we go again. The first secret about Goldman, don't talk about Goldman. You still there? (laughs) I'm still here. but Yeah, we we just crapped out for a second. Okay, we're good. So anyway, uh, I think it's a very funny clip, and you get a kick out of it, but they they threw him off. But besides (laughs) just throwing him you know, the way you would do this, I think, I mean, she says, we're throwing you off the show. She basically, she says, you have to be more polite. (laughs) In fact, you want you to argue on these shows, but apparently was not arguing correctly. Yeah. You'll be you'll be very proud of me, John. I have a I have a closing clip for today's show, which will play after we're done. Um, of my friend Rachel Maddow, oh, in, interviewing Janet Napolitano. Oh, brother! And uh, it's an eight-minute clip. We could actually go through that clip and deconstruct the entire thing, but it would take us an hour to do it. But at the very end, at the very end of this clip. Maddow actually suggests Napolitano should be the incoming Supreme Court justice. Oh, it was, no. It was a dyke fest. It was un- I want me to play that little bit. Just yeah, the, please. It was so funny. For the protection of the public safety. Uh, there are other reasons as well, but it was uh, no surprise to me when I was governor of Arizona that uh, by This is about the commemoration of uh, the Oklahoma City bombing. So, yeah, there's a million speeches. Yeah, so here she comes. Large uh, law enforcement, the men and women who are charged with protecting public safety, oppose legislation like that. One last question for you, Madam Secretary, uh, and I'm sure you're going to dodge it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You ready? <laughs> wouldn't, go, go being on, wouldn't being on the Supreme Court be a great job? <laughs> well, um, nice try, but I'm flattered to be, to be asked, and, uh, but I, I'm focused on the job I have, and as you've already described, it's a big one. Secretary of Homeland Security, Janet Napolitano. She actually does a namaste bow to Napolitano at the end. She says, Secretary, uh, Madam Secretary, and she puts her hands together like namaste and says, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for being on the show. Namaste. I'm a very, very busy person by definition. Uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. I'll play that whole clip. It, Disgusting. It's, it's unbelievable when you hear the whole thing. You'll, you'll just go, ah! Anyway, that's coming up in uh, in a bit after we uh, close it. Down. Yeah, I only have one other clip, which is kind of interesting uh, because I, you know, I don't know how anyone could. I, I, I don't have anything against people's names, you know, because I can't pronounce them apparently. But but Blanche always seems to be some sort of a wrote, name it's for like a, a sitcom I, name. Yeah, it's just what I was going to say. Wife on a sitcom. Yeah. So uh, here's a little clip. Uh, is that your nose whistling? No, that was actually my my squeaky voice. That when I, I don't, <laughs> okay. I don't know how that happened. That's uh, the chemtrails. It's a strange sound. <laughs> anyway, so play the uh, this thing, and then I want to just make a comment. Is short selling a derivative? Oh, wait, 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 stop. This is again on C-SPAN, and this is an interview that went on. I, it was quite interesting. It's another book that might be worth looking at. It's called Don't Blame the Shorts. 
Uh, and this is the author, and they were talking about short selling and how well it, you know it helps to balance markets and why it's important and why people should they, short sellers should never be blamed for anything because they're not really doing anything wrong. And uh, Horowitz and I have discussed this particular issue numerous times on DH Unplugged. Well, you have to be able to to speculate on a market going up and down, right? That's what yeah, short selling is. Yeah, but it helps balance things. That you know, if something goes up too much, you know, the shorts will come in because they think it's going up too much. And it'll stabilize. It actually stabilizes the market. Uh, instead of something just going crazy and then crashing, you know, so it's a very important function that you actually have it. And this guy explains it very well in this book. But this little topic comes up, which flabbergasts the guy when the, when the question is asked. Not to mention the fact that the interviewer doesn't even know what short selling is and, and suggests. Her, and, and her name is Blanche. Is she hot? Blanche Lincoln. I don't know. She's a, it's, she's a, well, just listen and you can go look her up while you're uh, <laughs> while you're playing this. Solid piece. no. Okay. Is short selling a derivative? And would you comment on Senator Blanche Lincoln's proposal to prohibit all derivative transactions? Well, you know, proposing to eliminate all derivative transactions is, I think, um, in this day and age, is like saying let's propose a law that says we can't drive. Um, we need, uh, whether we like it or not, and whether we think people act irresponsibly or not, the fact is is that bank balance sheets and what's on the balance sheets of these banks um, is almost the size of the, uh, the GDP. They are part of our economy. And I think uh, disallowing derivatives and just saying we're going to ban it, um, you know, I don't know how you would get anything done. I don't know how we would issue treasury bills, for example. Uh, to finance all the uh, health care and other things that we want to use our money for. Robert Sloan is our guest. Tell us what S3 Partners is. Um, S- so uh, I was actually flabbergasted, and I didn't surprise me to get any uh, more publicity, that some senator from the United States of America would make a suggestion that we ban all, I mean, essentially it is based, the dollar bill itself is a derivative, it doesn't really have any intrinsic value but the fact that somebody would suggest this because she read something about credit default swaps being the problem or something like that it indicates to me that some people are uh, incredible idiots and they shouldn't be in office now this woman's a democrat in arkansas and apparently she's not going to be in office much longer i did a little research and discovered that she's she's not well liked. let me me just say it's she's the kind of chick if she if she hover, she's hovering above you and then pulls out the bobby pin and the hair flows down, she could be pretty hot. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't get that impression. But for you, yeah, because you like that type. She's milfy. She's totally yeah, she's milfy. very milfy. But the fact is she's obviously an idiot. Yeah, and, that's, uh, not, that's the best kind. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Please. And, so vote her out. Oh my goodness! Uh, so the one thing that uh, I mean, there's only so much work I can do uh, based upon uh, the finances of the show and other work that has to be done. Uh, I, I was not able to get a video of the first Americanized debate over in Gitmo Nation East United Kingdom, as they are now moving into uh, election season. But I did see everyone going, oh, Nick Clegg, Nick Clegg, he's great. He's the guy. He really did it for me. Nick Clegg, Nick Clegg, is he's the new hero. Nick Clegg, it's time for change. So they're doing this uh, 
this these election debates Amer- Americana style. Yeah, there's they put three people up in front of the audience American style, and, and I mean it's more the, the real debates in Parliament where they actually yell at each other is more interesting than this crap. Yeah, well, so so the, and they're kind of doing it on an '80s game show set. Yep. And uh, so I see one article which I kind of liked. Um, from the from the Telegraph, Nick Clegg, the new Susan Boyle in politics. So this guy is like he's coming out of nowhere, and he's with the Lib Dems, and he's awesome. Let me just uh, give you a little background on Nick Clegg. Uh, so he is the leader of the UK's Liberal Democrat Party. Uh, he supports the war in Afghanistan. Uh, he's an elite. His mother, uh, Eulalie Hermans van der Waalbake, is Dutch. His father is the son of a half-Russian merchant banker. In fact, his dad is the chairman of the United Trust Bank. This guy is so connected, connected to Russian uh, nobility. His great-aunt was uh, the Russian spy Baroness Mura Budberg-Bünningshausen. She was the mistress of the British spy Bruce Lockhart. She spied for the Soviet Union in the 20s and was described by MI5 as a very dangerous woman. I mean, this guy is so connected. So he is a complete elitist, and everyone's running away like, "Oh, he's wonderful, Nick Clegg." He's saying it, and he's like this young, you know, dapper kind of boy. So you watch Gitmo Nation East. It's coming upon you now. There, it's a total. It's, it's a TV show you're watching. You're not watching elections. You're watching a television show. It's a well, reality that, it show. Wasn't, wasn't, isn't Cameron a shoe in on this election? No, or just no, 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 no. What no. about Cameron? And they're just setting this guy for the next time. No, I think Clegg is. I think he's coming out of left field, out of nowhere. He's going to be like the new hope. Sound like uh, anything you've you've seen happen recently in a country? Huh. Mm-hmm. Oh, by the way, speaking of such, American Thinker had a great post. AmericanThinker.com, title of it, Obama's Missing Girlfriends. And I really like this. Um, In all the books written about Obama, even his own book, there's mention of, you know, the many girlfriends and everything. But where are they? Who are they? Will the real girlfriends of Obama please step forward? No one has ever spoken to or heard of or interviewed any of Obama's girlfriends. Ooh, that's inter- that's a very interesting angle. It's a great angle. angle. It's, a, it's a good story. It's in the show notes at noagendashow.com, uh, which are packed once again today. And we have a subscription box you can sign up to. We'll soon be sending them out via email. Is it, can that really happen soon, John? How are the signups going? Uh, we need a. We they're they're not as uh, strong as I'd hope. It'll. I I'm not sure. We'll, we'll do, give us another week. Okay. Um, but anyway, I'm like, wow, that what an interesting angle. Um, and uh, if you know one of his girlfriends, maybe they're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. I wonder. <laughs> I wonder what happened to them. Uh, a couple of uh, things just to clear up. Uh, uh, this, by the way, is a nice little note of hope, I guess, in a way. Uh, in the morning, Adam and John, I'm Dieter Archer, a 14-year-old No Agenda listener. My friend Kevin Porter turned me on to the show about a year ago. I tried to get my dad to listen to No Agenda, but he thinks what you guys say is just crazy. <laughs> I want to tell you in short what I am <laughs> We're learning. Just crazy. <laughs> You're All crazy. we're doing is playing clips and letting other people say it. You're crazy. I want to tell you in short what I am learning in school about the Civil War. This has been a topic for the past three uh, episodes of No Agenda Show. Basically, 
I am being taught that slavery is the big reason why we had the war. My book teaches me all about the compromises the North and the South made to keep the Union together. But all the teachers say is how the North and South were fighting over states being slave of or slave or free states. I asked my teacher if the Civil War could have happened because of Britain and France, but she said it was not possible and did not happen. I really mm. like I really like no agenda. I always greet people with an in the morning, but they don't get it. I was going to try to start a podcast with Kevin, wondering if we could be allowed to greet each other with an in the morning and say stuff like what you guys have in the jingles. Hope two to the head is not in your future. Sincerely, Dieter Archer. Dieter, please steal all of our jingles. Start your show. We'll promote it. Our show is uh, open source. Yeah, of course. That's the whole point. You can make money off of it. You, we got noagendastuff.com. Just send us something from time to time. Help us out. We don't want to have to manage any of that crap. Yeah, no, that's what we're. That's exactly what we're. Th- that's our thinking is this. And I've talked to people about this. So, well, you know, this begging for money thing. I'm, I'm saying, you know, the great thing about begging for money, uh, which we have to do to support the show, but people do it voluntarily. And they give us, uh, they help us to contribute to the, uh, to the show. And is that I think just go steal the show, run it on your own blog, take good copies of it, and pass them around because the uh, we don't have we don't like we don't counting numbers. We don't need to know for for our Nielsen rating so we can tell an advertiser that, well, we got this many people listening today. We don't have to do any of that. So the show can just go out there because the idea is to get this show out and have people listen to it. All we're trying to do here is get people to think critically. That's all. We, that's our only goal. And I'm still disappointed every so often when somebody sends me a here, look at this. And it's a, it's a, it's either a uh, look over there moment or some other piece of crap that, you know, it's like, think about this, think more critically. What, it, why is this thing showing up on your doorstep? Is there, is there some rationale? They're trying to make you think a certain way. Are you trying, trying to be most of the, the stuff that goes on in the media is trying to trick you. So here, so, so here, think about this one. April 13th, an executive order from our, uh, our Presidente. Blocking property of certain persons contributing to the conflict in Somalia. This is a presidential order, basically. Uh, where's Somalia again, John? It's in Africa. Don't we have pirates around there? There's a pirate uh, phenomenon, yes, and uh, and there's also a. Uh, what is near uh, there? Your your idiotic uh, Stargate. Stargate, exactly. Please. Thank you very much. You call it idiotic, but now the president, you know, as if having 300 warships around this Stargate wasn't enough. Now you can't you, you can't go there. You can't uh, take money from there. You can't uh, support companies that do business there. Stay away. Stay away because we're protecting the Stargate. Not reported at all, by the way, in the in This the is why Dieter's news. dad thinks that the show's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait until that fucker opens up. Not reported at all, for good reason. <laughs> screw you. Screw you, Dvorak. <laughs> screw you. Uh, okay, there's a couple of links about the Polish uh, two to the head. Um, interestingly enough, uh, there actually was some good um, uh, ground-to-air uh, guidance systems installed there when um, I think Putin flew there a couple months ago and apparently it was either A, removed uh, or B, not turned on when a known flight was coming in. This, this thing is so, so bullcrap. 
He's like, oh, they crashed because of the mist. And now, <laughs> and now they, and now the story is the plane clipped a birch tree. Oh, they changed it. Yeah, it clipped a, instead of clipping an ant. First, they said it clipped an antenna. Now, no, it clipped a birch tree. This is a big ass plane. Let me see, plane, birch tree. Who's going to win? Clipped a birch tree, indeed. Do they even do, do birch trees even grow there? I would think so. Yeah, because it's cold. Yeah, no, birch tree is a cold weather tree. Okay. Does it snap easily? Uh, it's a hardwood. Okay. Hmm. So it might. I was just like, hmm. All right. I'm sure if it's a 50-foot-wide birch tree, it would probably have some, you know, the tr plane would be at a disadvantage. Uh, coming up in May, just so you all can read it, get ready for it, uh, the FEMA National Level Exercise, NLE 10. Uh, the exercise uh, is uh, meant for preparedness and readiness. Uh, tier 1 national level exercise, as per the national exercise program, it is domestic terrorism focused. Guided by national planning scenario number one. What could that be, John? How about nuclear detonation? Ooh, is, is that what it is going to be? Yep. Guided by national planning scenario uh, number well, one. It, it works in... When is the movie going to premiere? <laughs> the movie's well, already out. Uh, it was brilliant. Didn't you see it? It's countdown yeah, to no, zero. Actually, this may be, you know, we've, we've d discussed this in the past. We haven't done it so much recently. But every so often, something comes out that's going to get a lot of publicity and coincidentally promote a movie. Yep. Now, here it is. Here it is. Yeah. This is a movie promotion. Yeah, this is <laughs> it's promotion for the movie and to make you afraid. That's what it's all for. Just make you scared. Well, the movie, well, the movie in combination with the movie, I'm sure you'll be shaking in your boots. All right. Um, uh, see anything else? Uh, speaking of movies, uh, David, uh, what's, what's his name? Uh, the director of Avatar. Yeah. Cameron, James Cameron. James Cameron. David Cameron, yeah. eh, probably this, probably brothers. Uh, in Brazil, a judge on Friday overturned a decision that could have delayed construction of a huge Amazon dam opposed by environmentalists, Indians, and the director of Avatar, according to Associated Press. <laughs> James Cameron, he's down there. What like, he got to do with it? Well, he's remember we played that clip. He's like, I have some, I have fuck you money now. I'm gonna go save the world. Stop the dams. The dams are killing the world. I said, what is wrong with dams? <laughs> and Sigourney Weaver, who starred in Avatar, accompanied Cameron. Oh, I wonder what's up with those two. Mm -hmm. Of course, the visit was reminiscent of a 1989 trip by rock star Stink. <laughs> who protested the same dam alongside Indians with big plates in their mouths for visual effect. What is the problem? The dam is for hydroelectric power. It's green energy, man. Green energy. No, no, but the environmentalists are against it. It's the, because of the damage the dam would cause. In Africa? Brazil. Oh, in Brazil? Mm-hmm. What damage is it going to cause? I don't know, but it's enough for Cameron to fly down there, boning Sigourney Weaver, uh, talking to Stink's friends, to say, whoa, we have to stop this. It's a party. It's a drinking club. <laughs> and uh, President Obama uh, dutifully released his tax returns. He made five million bucks last year. 
Doing what? Uh, I don't know if it's uh, specified that way. How does it, how does a standing president make five million bucks during his term in office? Well, jointly, they reported their adjust, adjusted gross income is five million five hundred five thousand four hundred nine. Uh, they paid $1.792 million in federal income tax, charitable contributions, 329 He did give away his $1.4 million Nobel Peace Prize. I guess that was a part of it, but still, it's a cool three and a half, or like $3 million he made, uh, at least from his book and stuff like that. And uh, here's well, the Wait, kick- wait, wait, wait. What was his charitable donations? His charitable donations, uh, $329,100. Well, then where's the rest of the money? From the Nobel Peace Prize, he would have to declare that as income. Well, actually, no, I take it back. He would you get the Nobel Peace Prize tax free, so that wasn't even counted in his income. Mm-hmm. So he actually made six plus million. And if he gave it away, he could probably, in fact, I'm sure he could deduct it, and the deduction would be more than three hundred fifty thousand bucks. So something's wrong with these numbers. Not bad for a senator, huh? Former senator. No. No, the kicker good, is good uh, Biden's uh, income. Uh, was uh, <laughs> Biden's income three hundred and thirty three thousand dollars? Hmm. Yeah, I think then that's high for him. He, he, <laughs> yeah, but he's how about that number? For having no it, money, it's the magic numbers three hundred and thirty three thousand. Well, that's actually kind of cool. No, I like that. That's that's awesome. I wonder if, you know, Biden should listen to our show. <laughs> it's a big fucking deal, man. No agenda. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, the FBI is allowing uh, the Kennedys to uh, keep many of Ted's embarrassing records private. How does that work? There is. You talking about his private? Those are private to begin with, right? Those are just uh, his diaries, I guess. I don't know. Uh, responding to a newspaper's public records request, public records request, the Justice Department agency oh. is in the process of releasing thousands of pages of files involving the legendary Massachusetts Democrat who died of brain cancer. Problem is, some of the information from his storied decades-long political career is likely to upset the family, according to the FBI. That's why the feds are giving the Kennedy clan a rare opportunity to raise objections before the public disclosure of his exhaustive and secret FBI file. Hmm. I guess that's Chappaquiddick has something to do with that. Or who knows? Just thought it was interesting. If you're, if you're an elite, then you get to do whatever you want. Sorry? Yeah, I if, missed you. You, bl- you just blanked out. Oh, I said, if you're an elite, you get to do everything you want. Yeah, obviously. Well, I think we ra- have to wrap this thing and get that the long clip played. Yeah, that's the Rachel Maddow clip. I do just want to say that interesting observation that uh, many of the big health insurance companies, uh, it has now been revealed, of course, these are really financial companies, and they are directly related uh, to all of the big so-called banks, investment banks, who don't actually hold your money but invest money for rich people uh, and themselves. So they uh, they invest money. They take your money and they invest it, make more money out of that, pay themselves handsome bonuses, and when you need to pay your bill, they fuck you. Um, they are investing heavily in fast food restaurants. How does that work? Uh, yeah, I heard this. This is hilarious. <laughs> that's great. So, hey, you know that that's probably a good investment for them. Yeah, it's a great investment. It's just it's it's a little bit crooked, don't you think? It's like, <laughs> wait a minute, how does that work exactly? 
Okay, so coming up, the Rachel Maddow eight-and-a-half-minute interview with Janet Napolitano, uh, who was dressed very, uh, very femininely for the occasion. Mm. It's just, uh, there is, so there's a connotation. I don't care who they're sleeping with, but it's just kind of interesting. And uh, I will put the video in the show notes at noagendashow.com so you can see that namaste bow that uh, Rachel does to Napolitano. But just listen to this whole thing. You will, the words you will say consistently are, oh, brother. And, uh, well, we'll see how Ash- Ashmageddon does on Thursday, John. Yeah, yeah, it's probably still be going on. Yeah. So coming to you from the Hilltop Watchtower Crackpot Command Center, where they're still trying to mess with my connection here in the People's Republic of Southern California. Yay. My name's Adam Curry. And from northern Silicon Valley, where I'll probably get cut off in a minute anyway, I'm John C. Dvorak. We will be back on Thursday with the early service on another edition of the No Agenda Show, right here at noagendashow.com. Joining us now for the interview, I've been very much looking forward to this discussion, uh, is Secretary of Homeland Security Janet Napolitano. Madam Secretary, thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you. Um, as a U.S. attorney in Arizona at the time, 15 years ago, I know that you were part of the investigation into the Oklahoma City bombing. You'll be participating in the commemoration on Monday. Do you feel like we approach the threat of domestic terrorism differently now as a country than we did before that incident? Well, uh, yes, in, in part because every time there is an incident, and, and it's hard to describe something as horrific as the bombing of the Murrah building as an incident. It, it was an outrageous criminal act. Uh, but every time one of those things happens, we learn. Uh, we apply that in a law enforcement way to, to the next set of, uh, of, of events. So, uh, yes, uh, experience does teach us some things. And unfortunately, uh, the Murrah building... Uh, 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 bombing taught us a lot. In, and in terms of that, and I know that I'm, I'm raising a report for which there was a lot of political heat. Uh, your department got some heat last year when you put out a report that said uh, the current economic and political climate has some similarities to the 90s when right-wing extremism experienced a resurgence. In terms of that report, in terms of your government's advice to, and support to local law enforcement, how do you advise them and how does the country dealing with the threat of domestic extremism now? Well, what we do is we we work with law enforcement to uh, give them information, information about threats that we are seeing, uh, information about trends that we are discerning, uh, so that they are uh, better prepared to protect public safety uh, on the ground. And we, in turn, receive information back uh, from local law enforcement. And so, um, uh, you know, we will uh, provide information. For example, um, uh, we had a recent uh, case uh, where... Uh, and, and uh, individuals were buying uh, large amounts of hydrogen peroxide to make explosives. So it got into the news. Uh, well, you advise local law enforcement to, to watch for unusual purchases of hydrogen uh, peroxide. Uh, that's the kind of direct tactical information that we want to get into the hands of law enforcement. What were some of the things that law enforcement did with uh, some of the more extremist uh, militia groups and other uh, domestic ter- terrorist organizations, as you 
you to find them in the report last year. What were some of the things that law enforcement did right to, to essentially stem the growth of those groups after Oklahoma City? Um, well, I think in a, in, in a way, Oklahoma City was was such an outrageous criminal act uh, that. It, in and of itself, it had uh, an effect on the growth of, of militia movements, of armed, violent militia uh, movements. And so uh, we, we did see almost an immediate drop-off after uh, 1995. Uh, and, you know, we've had militia groups, our militia groups, uh, uh, from time to time throughout throughout American history and, and, indeed, throughout the last decades. They seem to kind of uh, come in and, and come out as, as circumstances change. Uh, but prior to to 1995, the Murrah Building bombing, uh, they, they were uh, really a rapidly growing phenomenon throughout the United States, particularly in some areas of the states, like Arizona, where I was the United States attorney. Uh, then they seem to have dissipated. Uh, and now, of course, recently, recent events show us that we have uh, some groups uh, starting up again. Considering the threat of, of terror from abroad and Department of Homeland Security's role uh, in, in, in international counterterrorism, I know that you're just back from Nigeria, uh, the home country of the attempted Christmas Day bomber. I know you were there to meet with leaders of a whole host of African countries about boosting the international side of airline security. Uh, what, what was accomplished there? What are, what are leaders agreeing to to try to fill some of those gaps? Uh, really, it's an, it's an amazing uh, global response to the attempted bombing on Christmas Day, where region by region around the world, we are forging a consensus about information uh, collection, information sharing, passenger vetting, and improved security at airports. Uh, I think people already will have seen some of the things uh, going into place in uh, airports in the United States. It's objectively uh, better technology for discerning someone who may be trying to bring explosives or other material uh, onto an airplane. But we're seeing the same kind of response internationally, and it was particularly encouraging uh, to see it amongst uh, the Union of African Nations over this past weekend. I was thinking about uh, preparing for this interview, this chance to talk to you today, and trying to narrow down all the things that are in your purview as Secretary of Homeland Security. (laughs) Good luck with that. Exactly. I mean, there's something like 200,000 employees uh, in this agency, 22 agencies all brought under one, everything from FEMA and and airline security and and H1N1 and, uh, and, and drugs and immigration and all of these different things. Um, I don't know that you can actually answer this and still be politic, but does the Department of Homeland Security make sense that it's one thing? I'm not sure that I'm not sure what the advantage is that all of these things are in one agency now. Look, uh, it it was born out of uh, 9-11, and I think it does make sense, but you have to kind of take all of those 22 agencies and and boil them down into what are are the major missions that we are uh, focused upon uh, so that we can uh, really sculpt a a vision for the entire department. And so uh, when you do that, you know, we're really focused on uh, counterterrorism. We're focusing on securing uh, our borders, be they land, air, or sea. 
we're focused on immigration, uh, immigration enforcement, even as we advocate for reform of the immigration laws. We're focused on protection of cyberspace, and I think we're the first uh, U.S. department that's really singled that out as, uh, you know, kind of the next wave of things that uh, needs our focus. And then finally, uh, the ability to, to respond, prepare for and respond to uh, natural disasters. And when you and when you boil it down to those five major functions, uh, then you can really see how the department and all of its various components make sense. I could also see how if I had your job, I'd want to clone myself five times so I could have one person in charge of each of those things, plus a spare to rest. Um, Indeed. <laughs> on that issue of, Im of, of immigration, um, not in your Depart Department of Homeland Security purview, because this is at the state level, but your home state of Arizona this week has passed um, a, a very, a very, very strong anti-immigration bill. I think of it as the papers please bill. Uh, it compels police officers to demand papers from anyone they reasonably suspect of being an illegal immigrant. Uh, it's now a misdemeanor to not carry your immigration paperwork with you at all times in Arizona. Didn't you veto something like that when you were governor there? I think I vetoed uh, things like that uh, at least twice, and I did because, uh, first of all, uh, immigration is primarily federal, uh, not exclusively, but primarily federally, federal. But secondly, uh, it, it doesn't allow law enforcement to focus on where law enforcement needs to focus and to prioritize uh, the way law enforcement needs the ability to prioritize for the protection of the public safety. Uh, there are other reasons as well, but it was uh, no surprise to me when I was governor of Arizona that, uh, by and large, uh, law enforcement, the men and women who are charged with protecting public safety, oppose legislation like that. One last question for you, Madam Secretary, uh, and I'm sure you're going to dodge it, but I'm going to ask it anyway. You ready? <laughs> wouldn't, go, go being on, wouldn't being on the Supreme Court be a great job? <laughs> Well, um, nice try, but I'm flattered to be to be asked. And uh, but I, I'm focused on the job I have, and as you've already described, it's a big one. Secretary of Homeland Security Janet Napolitano, a very very busy person by definition. Uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. I appreciate your time. Thank you for having me.